Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's up, weirdos? Uh, very, very excited to have Mike Birbiglia on the show. Before, before we get to this, we're actually doing something that's very exciting uh, and new. We're trying to put a uh, compilation together of the best moments uh, from the show, and I need your help. There's so many episodes. There's so many episodes uh, to go through, and I'm trying to do it myself, but I need uh, the weirdos to assemble and send me your favorite moments. We set up an email account. And it's uh, uh, comedysexgod at gmail.com. And if you would, I would love you forever. Email me the moments that have changed your life. If it's thoughtful, if it's provocative, if it's interesting, if it helped you, if it's sad, if it's moving, if it's funny, if it was interesting, if it was about comedy, if it was about sex if it was, or relationships, if it was about God, email comedysexgod at gmail.com and we will include you in the credits of whatever project this ends up being. Um, if you'd like to email and volunteer to listen to some episodes, uh, we, we, that way we can distribute who's listening to what. If you'd just like to randomly email us what your moment was, that would be great. If you want to email us the, the time code of when it happened, that's one, two points for the win. If you want to write it out, that's really, really helpful to us so we can see what the moment was and consider including it in whatever this project ends up being. Could be a book, could be a best of, uh, but it, all these great moments keep happening and, and they, they impact my life and they change my life and I really want to give them a home. So if you want to be a part of this project, we will include your name in the credits. Email comedysexgod at gmail.com and I would sincerely be grateful for that. Uh, with that being said, this is Mike Brabiglia. Mike and I have been wanting to get together for a very long time. And it's weird. It's a weird one. Katie was there. We were in his hotel. It's, it's the only episode I think we've ever done where the guest keeps worrying and insisting that maybe it's not the best episode. But I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought it was really, really great. And I think at the end, Mike did too. And I hope you like it. The, uh, the sponsor – sorry, I ate a pretzel. The spon- Oh, God. Can you take that little moment out? This little moment where I like burped and stuff. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Just leave it in. Uh, the sponsor is ProFlowers.com. It's easy. This is my big sell on this. The reason why I'm glad ProFlowers.com is our sponsor is because I use ProFlowers.com. And the reason I use ProFlowers.com is it's a wonderful sham. It's a wonderful sham. I mean that in the best of ways. Flowers are the indicating gift that you are a thoughtful person. And here is the most thoughtless way to send them. Online. Easy. Takes no effort. Someone else does all the work for you. The vase, the selection, the cutting, the watering, the mailing. They do it for you and at reasonable prices. And you look like a champion. A champ. That's amazing. I send my mother flowers all the time uh, because I'm an alone person. If I had a girlfriend, I would send her flowers and be like, here's some Gerber daisies. Because that's the flower that all girls like. Uh, So send them. And here's what you do. Go to proflowers.com, click on the microphone, type in homes. They'll give you a discount. They'll give you special deals. Make sure if you got somebody on your Christmas or Hanukkah uh, list that is not yet taken care of, take care of them the thoughtful yet secretly easy way with proflowers.com. Uh, email the show, weirdatnerdist.com. Please come out. If you're in New York City or the uh, surrounding area, December 21st, the day the world ends, please, weirdos, it's going to be fun. We're going to celebrate, celebrate Christmas together. Christmas. It's a Christmas Christmas celebration. 
So come out to the Gramercy Theater. It's going to be me, Joe DeRosa, other surprise guests, and I'll be doing a nice long set to uh, ring in the end of the world. Please be there. I'll be there. Won't you be there? Also go to Facebook.com, regular slash You Made It Weird, for other good moments. And remember, ComedySexGod at gmail.com. Uh, I'm excited to see what that project ends up being. Please be a part of it, and I will uh, be grateful. All right, Mike Birbiglia, Mark Finiglia, live from his hotel in beautiful downtown Hollywood, California. All right, stay crispy, everybody. We're all set up. Sound. Do you want to roll? Yeah, roll. Can I get a notepad? Can I get a notepad? Can I get a notepad? You dick. <laughs> I have something in my shoe. Can I? Can I? Can I start? Sure. Yeah. I just want to. Well, people are excited that you're on the show, and I don't. I, you know, I don't want to steamroll you. People get really excited when the Mark Finiglia is on the show. No one. What, what do you mean? You've you, never once laughed at me calling you Mark Finiglia. We can start with that. I find it so funny. I, you mean Matt Pandemiglia? Are you referencing? No, no, I'm movie? not. I thought maybe you would think that I was referencing the movie. <laughs> In fact, I was a little upset that you didn't name yourself Mark Finiglia, which has been a joke that we've never discussed. But I often will answer the phone if you call me and say Mark Finiglia. Really? And you- <laughs> <laughs> you've never noticed or cared. Why do you have a computer open? Just to reference, like, like I was looking at your website earlier and stuff like that. But I, you're going to research me. Yeah, people have heard enough about me. People have definitely heard... People that listen to this show have heard enough about me. But they haven't heard this, and I want to start with this, because I'm having... We're at the Roosevelt, Roosevelt Hotel. Okay? Yeah. I'm and staying here. Do you stay under your own name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those diehard uh, Berbiglia fans... Uh, go ahead and just call the hotel and see if he's here every once in a while. Well, they never say on Twitter where I'm staying. Yeah, or on stage. I also also I also have this thing on Twitter where I always tweet where like places I was like an hour ago. <laughs> and people are like, I went to that coffee shop. I'm there now. They, you tweeted this two minutes ago. <laughs> I'm at the coffee shop in Indianapolis, and they're trying you, to catch you. Yeah, that's very very yeah. funny. Two minutes too late. Yeah. The new 30, album. 30 too late. 30 too late. Oh, I'm yeah. being flooded I with all the things. tweeted 30 later. All the things I want to talk to you about. This has been long due. This is long due. You know what happened just now? What? You and Katie were in the room, and I went to get coffee, which I brought you. Small black coffee with skim milk. I've been watching Comedians in Cars getting coffee. Have you watched that? No. My favorite thing about it is watching what they order. So you were looking at the computer screen instead of being engaged with my goddamn anecdote. <laughs> you would be so... Oh, my God, Katie. Thank you. Yeah. Do, I, do we both want one? Yeah, I would Little love tripods that. for our... I'm only teasing. When Chelsea interviewed me for the 100th uh, episode... Yeah, I heard it. She was looking down a lot. It was so long. Ah, I tweeted about that. You did. I tweeted you about how I, how I turned it on, and I woke up in the morning, and it was still on. All right, well... <laughs> You got a Katie laugh for that? <laughs> Son of a bitch. That is so unfair. It's so long. That episode is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's really good. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. Oh. And, um, 
I wouldn't have listened to all of it if all two hours and 15 minutes had it not been enjoyable. Okay, yeah. Well, that's um, a high compliment. But it's fucking long. I don't understand why people get mad. Where does it say that a show is supposed to be a certain length? Who's mad? Well, why is it a joke then? It's a joke because <laughs> we're all judging you in a friendly way. <laughs> you're right. No, you're right. That is, that is absolutely the joke. But what happened was, you and Katie are in here setting up mics, and I went out to get coffee. So I was outside. I was on Hollywood Boulevard. So I came in with a different energy. Yeah. So that, you know, this is actually one of my theories of stand-up. I think that stand-up, the, the, the convention of having a crowd settle into their own energy mm-hmm. and then be introduced to someone that wasn't a part of it is exactly what just happened now. Because I was talking too quickly. Yeah. I couldn't adjust to your speed and all that sort of stuff. But if you ever see a dinner party and then someone comes late, that person is kind of expected to tell a couple jokes about like why they were late mm-hmm. or whatever they say will get a laugh, whether or not it's funny or not. Like, I know, I know. Ha <laughs> ha, Phil's here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's there's what we're some mimicking. sense of like there's some sense of expectation on the entrance. Exactly. Yeah, and I think isn't that what we're taking advantage of as stand-ups? We're like, ladies and gentlemen, this man that was behind a curtain, and now yeah. he's in front of you. You know, Mulaney and I were lamenting this earlier. I I had a phone call with with um with Mulaney earlier. I called him on the way to get dirt on you. He didn't answer. Yeah, we he and I talk every couple weeks, and we have nice chats, and uh, <laughs> we've been friends for many years, and. Uh, and it was a lot. I hope it didn't take the wind out of the sails of this interview because talking to him is a lot like talking to you. Well, we're similar chaps, I suppose. Yeah, but it's better. What do you mean? It's better written. No, what do you, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What, because uh, you guys like to get into it. Well, you no, were just talk shop. We were talking about uh, about um, about how with opening acts on the road. You, if you have like two opening acts, if there's two acts, if there's an MC and a middle, yes, and then they're switching up their set every night, then yes. you have to watch their set every night because you, as a headliner, you're in charge of the show, right? So if you come on stage and someone talked about panda bears and then you talk about panda bears and you don't know that they did, yeah, you're the asshole, right? Although I, w- if I- you don't acknowledge it in some way. Yep. that it's happened, then you don't know what's going on in the room. It's funny that you say that. I knew a story from the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee. Did you ever play the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee? The one with the mobsters and the steak dinner and everything. The mobster, the steak, the, the Thursday night steak dinner yeah. where you get the fried eggplant. And yeah. When, uh, famously, when they paid you, they would put a gun on the table. Yeah. They never did that with me. I always felt left out. But uh, I know the story. I never played there. I know all okay. these stories. Though, yeah. Well, one of the backdrops that they... I, I even know the story you were about to tell, and I'm done with it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you are sharpshooting me. What if I walked into... Uh, no, I'm, you know I love it. I, you know, I'm actually not positive. It doesn't matter. I'm not positive it was the Comedy Cafe anymore. But anyway... It's I, not, I don't think. I think they, there's a new place now. Someone was just talking about that the other day. I heard the story at the Comedy Cafe. And they had this uh, skyline on the back of the wall. And this uh, the MC or the middle every night would point to a window on the skyline. I'm talking like you. It would point to a window. That's how you talk. Yeah. And uh, po- you didn't like that. And they'd point to a window. <laughs> that was cute. No, it was okay. I, I didn't really go for it because you're right there. <laughs> we, we've done Do it then. Do we've it. Done your, then what do I it. should have said was nothing. That's you, good. You go very slow. That's good. Very deliberate. Yeah. It's a new style. Nobody else does that. Anyway. I have to, Except I, everyone who opens for me. You think so? 
Are you a rub off? Let me finish the story. Okay, I'm going to write sure. down. I'm going to write out rub offable. That sounds weird. <laughs> rub offable. So the, the the feature act would point every night would point to six shows would point to a window and say, "I lost my virginity in that room," and everyone would laugh. Then the headliner. Uh, who, who, of course, goes after this man, would go up, and he started riffing. He'd point to the same window and go, I fucked a small boy in that room. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that would work. It was like a little Mm one-two punch. Mm -hmm. And then the last show, the the feature decides to not do that joke. So then the headliner is just on stage in the middle of his act. It's a punchline with no setup. Just goes, I fucked a little boy in this room. Oh, my God, that's great. Death. It's a great story. Isn't that great? It's a good comedy story. We got good road stories. You do. No, no. I want to talk to you all about, we're going to talk about Rub Offable, don't worry. I also want to talk about hotels. Can Can we talk about hotels? Well, we're in one right now. Let's talk about it. I have the story that I want to tell you about this hotel. Well, first of all, let's, also, talk, you know, let's talk let's about talk where about, we are right now. I'm so totally into it. Let's bring the audience in. So we're in the Roosevelt Hotel. We're staying. I'm staying on the ground floor, which I'd stay in because I have a serious sleep disorder oh, I called REM behavior disorder, where I, I, um, I sometimes act out my dreams, sometimes dangerously so. So I have to stay on the ground floor. It's what my movie Sleepwalk With Me is based right. on. Right, if right, people, right. If people know exactly what I'm talking about, then sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if, they, yeah. if they don't know what I'm talking about, that, that'll bring you up to speed. And you can see, I have my little sleeping bag. I was kind there. of excited to see it. I haven't yeah. yet got to the point in the movie where I'm sure you show it. Oh, you didn't get to the end of the movie? I didn't. <sighs> I came home I with... I sent you a Blu-ray myself. I know, I know. I watched it for an hour and 15 minutes. I didn't get to the end, though. I had an early call this morning. And it's an hour and 20 minutes long. We were supposed to be wrapped at 6, and we wrapped at uh, 8.30. All right. Came straight here. So anyway, I, um, noticeable I'll, disappointment. I'll bring you up to speed. The um, there's my sleeping bag. Uh, sort of a trendy hotel. We're yes. overlooking. It's a cabana room overlooking a pool that oh, has yeah. sort of a hipster Los Angeles. Not a hipster. That's an overused term, but it's sort of a um, hip, hip. sort of a trendy. Yeah, trendy. Uh, trendy Hollywood show business. It's very sceny. Scene. It's very sceny. You feel like um, if you swim in this pool, you might get a deal. It, well, did you I see? No, well, like Robert Evans. Yeah, Robert Evans. Like, but no, but nobody swims in the pool, though. That's the thing about I these know. hotels, like the Standard and yep. and the Sunset Marquee. No one ever swims in the pool. It's such a shame. Yes. for the great swimmers of our world. It's a beautiful pool. Who could swim in these things? And then we're next to a a big, you know, plasma screen TV, and uh, and 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 uh, it's a small room. It it's is a, a humble small sized room. room. It's got this kind of trendy. Um, globe lamp lighting <laughs> yeah. instruments like Andy Warhol would wear it as a, a helmet sort of thing. Yeah, and it's um, and you yeah. have Voss water. I Voss water, See, of is... course. Yeah, the, and I'll tell you uh, uh, two things about this hotel, and you have stories about this hotel as well. I do, yeah, but please, um, they they put you here. I'm on the Jimmy Kimmel show tomorrow. Jimmy oh. Kimmel Live on ABC, right next door. Um, yeah, it's next door, so they always put the people here. I've st- I stayed here. Mulaney reminded me of it. Um, uh, and I was actually calling Mulaney to, c- to congratulate him. On the Vanity on, Fair? Oh, I don't know about Vanity Fair. Oh, but in Van- I called him also to congratulate him about what else did he have? What's he in Vanity Fair for? Judd Apatow special? guest edited. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Schumer, Hannibal, uh, Bo, Reggie, um, and uh, Mulaney are all in it. I'm forgetting somebody, I feel like. But that's who I can remember from the photo. Did they write pieces, or did he write pieces about them? I only saw it because Schumer tweeted it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, the um, I just sent him love. I just called him because people just love his. And I, I 
I have to say, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the material, and yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. People should see his special if they haven't seen it. New and And so, yeah, people are just loving I had a, can it. I, like can I interject with the tiniest the thing? I did an audition, and Colin Hanks was there, and we, we just got to talking, and, and he kind of reminds me of Mulaney a mm-hmm. little bit. So I, I don't that. know if that's why I brought up Mulaney, but you know, five minutes in, I like talking in audition rooms. Some people don't. I like talking. So me and Colin Hanks are talking, and after five minutes, we're just going, and I push him. No, no, no. I push him. We're doing the new in town bit. Uh, so I got to watch Colin Hanks do it and love wow. Mulaney. It was really, it went from like, will this guy be nice to like, this guy is a fan of a close friend of mine. It was really, really cool in Los Angeles. So John, John reminded me. As though I would totally remember that we stayed here, like we stayed here like eight years ago on the Medium Man on Campus tour. Holy shit! My tour and college tour in two thousand five that John opened for. I remember. We had a tour bus and we had a and it had my my face on the side of it. Yeah. And we parked in the parking lot and we felt like douchebags. Yeah. Because we're here at this place where it's like big stars are kind of like in the lobby and stuff like right. that. Yeah. And like I have my like face on the bus. Yeah. In the parking lot. It's like t- very tacky. Yeah. Because you were at the level of fame where you kind of... I was of just zero. About, of I'm zero. at that zero level. Of, I was at that zero level. But more specifically, where... I, I remember hearing on the Howard Stern show, they were talking about wrestlers and porn stars have to sign autographs. I saw Colin Farrell. Is he the bad boy? Actually, at this hotel once. Okay. You don't yeah. stop Colin Farrell for an autograph. You're just kind of like, holy shit, that's Colin yeah. Farrell. You stop a porn star. You stop a, a, yeah. a wrestler. And you stop the guy with the face on his bus. I know. So true. Right? And then after now, if you were to tour, you'd, you'd tour, you know, Modest Mouse style. Black bus. Black bus, No yeah. face. Black bus, no face. We were, we woke up in the hotel parking lot and we opened the door and we were mortified to realize that we were completely bare. Oh. And like our bus, you know, my, I was mortified. You mean the bus. Yeah, so then the other time was I, I sleepwalked. Um, here. I was just going to correct you, but if anyone would know the past tense of sleepwalked, it would be you. Yeah. It's, uh, they were shooting Entourage in, this is how douchey this hotel is. They were shooting Entourage in the pool area. Yeah. Um, that's right. To simulate being a douche. Yeah. They went to a douchey hotel. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and they had like some, they were shooting all night. And they weren't going to let me stay in the pool cabana area room because they were shooting at the front desk. And I said, no, it's a medical thing. I have to. Whoa. I have to stay on the ground floor or I could die. You right. know, so when, 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 when they don't let me stay on the ground floor at hotels, I start explaining, like, I know this seems a little crazy, but I'm going to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, I jumped out a second-story window sleepwalking, and it's really serious. And I'm, di- I'm diagnosed. I take medication. I sleep in a sleeping bag, but still, it's very dangerous. I need to sleep on the ground floor, and usually they'll concede that. And, right. And so they in that this case entourage. Yeah, and so in this case they did that, and so I was like, like, right now we're looking onto the pool. Imagine that's filled with crew. Like a hundred people, like actors, extras, the whole cast. Yeah. Like it's packed all night. Yeah. And often my real life will interact. What's happening in my surroundings will interact with the dream. Mm. So in the room next to me, 
was the cast, and I could hear them through the wall. They were like with some girls there, and they you were mean like off camera. Yeah, yeah. They're just they're just like hanging, hanging out. out. I don't know what they were doing. Yeah, but it was like they were it was very loud, and they were and and I had a dream while this was. I fell asleep to hearing that, and then I um. I woke up the next day and remembered that in my dream, in some context, I had stood up on my bed and pounded the wall. In your in your dream, yes. but probably in Pound, reality. In, in most likely in reality, it happened. Ooh. And I, I remember in, when I woke up in the morning, I remember thinking, hearing people go, there's someone in the room next to us. Get that guy out of here. Like, there was a whole to-do about it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was strange. Adrian right? Garnier. Yeah. Adrian Garnier Fructis. I feel like we're boring Katie. the audience. Not at all. I'm talking too much, right? Well, you're talking way more than I normally let someone talk. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit it. Mike Burbiglia, don't be stupid. I'm really enjoying it. You're actually doing something, and I mean this in a compliment, as a compliment. I, I did a show with you once called The Benson Interruption. And we did it together in New York City. And this was when I didn't really know you or Doug Benson very well uh, or anyone else on the show. And I remember – do you remember this night? No. I think you're going to remember this night. God. Because you stabbed me that night. <laughs> no, no, no. I went up. I went up and I um, – Doug interrupted me. Can you me. hear me okay, by the way? Can you hear both of us? Am I too far away? <clears throat> All right. You uh, – they're picking up as much of me on your mic as you on your mic. <laughs> it's just my ambient peatness. They picked up uh, – what the fuck? I did my set, and Doug, the, the concept of the show is you do stand up, and Doug interrupts you. And he interrupted me so much that I had one of the worst sets of my life. I didn't really? get any laughs, and all that happened <laughs> all that happened was Doug made fun of me, and I thought that was the purpose of the show. Yeah. It's not like I couldn't have thrown it into a high gear and been yeah. like, go fuck yourself. I'm going to steamroll you. Although, I don't know if I could have at that point. But then you went up. And I was like, oh, everyone's going to eat shit. But then you went up and you did what you're doing to this podcast, which I do mean as a compliment, which is it's becoming berbigliified. It's, it's feeling a little bit more uh, fresh air, if you will. It's feeling a little bit more Ira Glass, if you will, which is fine. I want it to be what it's going to be, baby. But you saw what I was gearing for at the beginning. I was like, I, I have five irons in the fire and I'm going nuts because I'm really kind of juiced right now. See, this is a longer pause than I'm used to. <laughs> You talk like Gaffigan. You think so? Yeah. I know he's one of your road chums, which is kind of funny and a privilege. Is I remember Mulaney told me that you and he were road chums. That you would call... He, just like at some point, Gaffigan started calling you occasionally when he was on the road and just wanted to talk to someone who would understand a bad set or a long trip or all those different things that we have to put up with. It's funny. I don't know that that's true. I, you might be thinking of someone else. Hmm. Or... Um, I mean, I talked to I talked to Gaffigan last week. We talk four times a year. Is that right? Yeah. Well, then I'm misinformed. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting is that you and I have become a little bit. You're, I yeah, we're road buddies. Yeah, we're, we're road, road buddies. buddies. And Mulaney yeah, and I is a for sure. A shared and road Mulaney buddy. and I are road buddies. You got to have a road buddy. You make you that gotta. call. You have those sets. We're never impervious. We're never, uh, you know, invincible to the point where you're not going to have a set that's going to make you question. Never invincible. Everything. Yeah, that's my new album. It's the opposite of Dane's retaliation. Mine's called Never Invincible. <laughs> or the opposite of Chris Rock's, I guess. Wait, so you had a Roosevelt Hotel story. I do. What do you got? I am haunted by it every time I come here. 
my parents, Jay and Irina Holmes, came to visit me and my girlfriend at the time, and we lived around the corner from here. And uh, to make it easy, we were like, let's put them up at the Roosevelt. Also, it's got some history, you know what I mean? It's kind of whatever. Yeah, I think it's from the 20s or something. In hindsight, I just should tell my parents they can never come to Los Angeles. <laughs> like, it's just not for, it's not for you. It's not your yeah. place. It's just not. It, it's it, not for, gra- for grandma and grandpa. No, we barely belong here. You know what I mean? If you don't have, like, a steady stream of income reminding you of why yeah. you're here, this is the fastest town to be like, what the fuck am are I you, doing here? Are you saying your mom doesn't have a good rack? <laughs> that? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm trying to put the context of, like, what is she Is it, like, too superficial or too, like, show-busy, too Hollywoody? Oh, my God. I remember looking at them... On the side, I picked them up in front of Man's Chinese Theater, and you know, there's like the fucking superheroes and all this riffraff yeah, walking yeah. around, st- filling the street. It looks like to steal a great Jake Johansson line. It looks like the concert just let out. Okay, so it's just filled everywhere, and I see my my. I was going to say stupid, but I don't mean they're stupid. I just mean like so out of place, stupidly out of place. My dad with his Red Sox hat barely on his head, his uh, you know, cargo shorts. My yeah, mother yeah. just dressed. I don't know. I can't even picture it. It's so. Horrible at this time. So, and then we take them to check in here. And as you described so aptly, it is swank. It is very LA. It's very douchey, if, I, if I may. It's the worst. It's kind of the worst. Yeah. And here, are my parents, they love a good, they love antiques. They love. Uh, They'd like to stay at the bed and breakfast I was in just going to say bed and breakfast. They love a good bed and breakfast. They'll be up before the people that run it, yeah. somehow, impossibly, yeah. scrambling eggs before they're up. Yeah. Now, you're in uh, this room, 103, which is right off the hallway, which is fine. This will be out long after you're gone. So my parents stayed also in a floor like this by the pool, but in the bowels, okay? So I had to walk my, my parents are like in their 70s, and we're walking them like an ungodly distance to their room. And they don't give a shit about any of this stuff. They, are, they hate it. They just want to leave already, and I can tell. Mm. So we have to go to room, like, let's say, 983, and it's so far back. It's like a 20-minute walk from the pool into a part, a labyrinthian part of this hotel that you wouldn't even believe exists. Yeah. We get them there. <laughs> they, they're there for 10 minutes, and then we have to walk back to eat a meal that they hate. This is the worst. This is the absolute worst. The story part comes in that my, my girlfriend was very sweet at the time, wanted to do something nice for my parents. And I'd love to put this to you and ask you what kind of family you have. We are not a thoughtful people. We're Lithuanian and we're Irish and we're, we're not cold, but we're not thoughtful. It's off-putting to us. If I came in to do this podcast and you gave me a gift, I might be okay with it. But in my family, Christmas, it's very unromantic. You understand? So my girlfriend, to be nice and to be sweet, it was a big deal. She was meeting my parents, bought them flowers and had them sent to the room, which then just became a headache. The gift became a non-gift. It was like, well, we have to go back. Like the thought of going back to the room to pick up these flowers that had been delivered was a nightmare, was the world's worst nightmare. And, And I had to explain to my girlfriend, I was like, yeah, you can't do nice things for my parents. The gift is not making them go back to their hotel even if it's to pick up mm. these flowers. So I walk around here and I just remember trying to manage the expectations of my parents and of this girlfriend at the same time and just feeling in agony. In conclusion, both of our stories about the hotel are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to know There's the reason. No, no one, percentage-wise, no one is entertained at this point in the podcast. That can't be possible. No, no, they're not. I'm taking my I apologize. <laughs> On behalf of both me and Pete, 
because I think we have so much more to give in this podcast. And I, the reason I think that is that well, you and I have a pretty deep history I like in the story. limited amount of years that we've been friends. Yeah, absolutely. I had an interesting moment with you where at South by Southwest this last year, mm-hmm. you... We were both on like that set list show, I think, yep. where they they put up uh, note cards that say for the audience suggestions, your joke has to be, you know, entitled batshit crazy, mm-hmm. and then you make up a joke where the punchline essentially is the right. word batshit crazy, right? And and I was kind of okay at it. You were like mind-bogglingly good at it. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I was probably You were mind-bogglingly good. I was in the audience and I was just like Jesus Christ. Um <laughs> like you and cuz I almost feel like I only know you as a friend, like I don't even know you as a comic. Right, that's true. Like like I just know you as a dude who huh. I see at stuff and I know you're friends with Mulaney. And so I just assume you're funny. Right. And then I, and, and you're funny in real life. And sure. so I'm like, I assume you're funny on stage. Right. I don't watch comedy specials. Right. I don't listen yeah. to comedy albums. Right. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and so then I saw you and I was like, oh, like Pete's for real. Like ah. he's the winner. Ah. <laughs> he's the winner? <laughs> like there was 10 of us on the show. And I was like, oh, Pete's the winner of the show. And I didn't even know there's going to be a winner. Ah. Like it, it was one of those shows where you're like, oh, everyone will be fine. And yeah. it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Everyone's fine except Pete. Pete's the winner. <laughs> and it was, uh, it, was a real, uh, it was a real odd moment. It, it didn't change our friendship at all, but it was a real big turning point for me in understanding like what you do to an audience what you do to an audience is very special oh I appreciate that man I remember that show there, you're forgetting you're, you're kind of uh, in my benefit forgetting as part of that story I went up and I'll admit that I destroyed I did really really well you get five suggestions and I destroyed and I was the last guy and then they were like <laughs> what <laughs> Going. No, I didn't keep going. Right. You no. thought I no. You going. you gave yourself an encore. No, you thought I gave myself an encore, and I said to you, I was like, "Rubigli, how could you think I gave myself an encore?" You you, you thought said I goodnight, did, and then you walked off, and then you walked back on because and kept going. And no, it was so late because the it was host, like one in the morning. I we're know. in Austin, and I don't want to go all back. Just want to go to bed, but Mike. I didn't want to go out at all. The host brought me out, and I remember this about you. You thought it was my idea. It wasn't my idea. I went out for the encore, which invariably it's going to be not as good as that steamroll set I just yeah, had. It was unreal. And then I just did like an okay set and was like, okay, good night. Yeah. But here's, can I give you, I haven't uh, brought something traditionally weird up on the show. Here's a memory from South by Southwest. And I actually ran this by uh, Mulaney. I had, I had to vet your reaction to something by Mulaney because I didn't know how to interpret what happened. Yeah. So I'm with Gerard, Gerard Carmichael, and we're there. And we're talking to you. Do you, you might remember this as we go. At some point, Gerard makes a joke about, uh, about teaching me how to do something. Okay? And I said, in return, I'll teach you how to swim. A joke, as comedians will, that operates and hinges on the principle that black people traditionally aren't good swimmers. Mm. Then you said to me, I know that's offensive. You said, to, or is it? You said to me, 
I don't understand why would Gerard not know how to swim. And what's weird was Gerard went with it. He was like, oh, I really appreciate that. I've been looking for a white person to teach me how to swim. And he made some joke about teaching me how to freestyle or something like that. So it was, everybody was playing with their race cards out, as comedians will do. Then you said to me, you said, I don't understand why would you assume that Gerard can't swim. And then I started to say, and Gerard actually answered. He was like, well, Pete is operating under the, the popular notion that a lot of African-Americans don't grow up in neighborhoods with pools and therefore can't swim. This is what he says. And you were like, oh, I, I, okay. Then I called Mulaney and I was like, not like that day, but like a couple days later. And I was like, I think Probiglia thinks I'm racist or something and like tried to... NPR me and call me on being like like a, a close-minded white person. Then uh, Mulaney said, "No, Mike is sometimes just that way." I think he was genuinely asking, "What do you mean by that joke?" Yeah, I, I didn't get the joke. <laughs> Closure. All these months later. I don't know all the stereotypes. That's what that's what Mulaney said. That's a weird thing about you. I can't keep up with all of them. There's so many. There's aren't they're not that many. I know all just the hacky basics. Like that joke, the joke that I made. I knew I know the one that that black people don't ski. Yeah, yes. I heard that because Kyle Grooms has a joke about that. And Amy Schumer, I think, informed my joke that night because she had a joke. Oh, she has the joke where she says. I'm mixing the stories. She has a joke where she says, I'm teaching my, my friend, uh, my black boyfriend is teaching me how to freestyle rap, and in return, I'm teaching him how to freestyle swim. So if you heard that joke, you wouldn't have gotten it at mm. that point. That's why those roasts are interesting to me, because I would never fit into one. It wouldn't uh, play to my strengths. Yes. But um, I'd have to study stereotypes. Isn't that weird? Um but it is in, it's educational for me to watch them because I, I'm like, oh, that's what the stereotype is now. Uh, <laughs> well, you learn them. You learn them and then you, you I guess you bank them. And then I, I laughed a lot at the recent one. The Roseanne Parr one was funny, I thought. I didn't actually see it. I thought it was really funny. But that, that, I think that probably speaks to something sweet about you, that you don't keep up with that stuff. And you're from Massachusetts, which is typically a place where you would grow up and learn a lot of... You know, what is it? Chinese, Asian people can't drive. You're familiar with that one. Yeah, I mean. No? Yeah, I know that oh, one. Okay, sure, you know yeah. That one. <laughs> I thought for a second. Very, yeah, not really, though. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know many stereotypes. Hmm. I get one. I mean, I certainly, if I don't know the swimming one, which it seems to be your, your, one of your A jokes. <laughs> it's actually a joke I'm very uncomfortable repeating on the show. But I, I, saw it, it on your, I saw it on your. Uh, Three by five note card earlier. Ah, that was black my set list. I, I usually open and close with a callback to black people swimming. Um, so, so we were at South by Southwest, and I, yeah, I had that interesting revelation. I'm like, oh, Pete is like, in, in addition to being a great guy, who is my friend. Yeah, he's a great comic. Well, I like this part of the show. Yeah, I do like this part. Of the no, show. it's it, no, it's really it was. Isn't that a weird thing about show business? So you know a lot of people who you're even friends with, and yeah. you don't know their work. Well, I also think it's funny. Two things: one, on my old MySpace page under influences, one of them was Mike Birbiglia. Oh, I think that's, that's nice. very funny. So I think it's very funny that we are friends now. And two, I think it's funny that you assume that I was funny because I'm friends with Mulaney. Did you listen to he and I's episode? I, that's why. By the way, that's why I'm friends with Joe Mandy. Because your chums? Because Mulaney's oh, because, friends with them. 
Yeah, he's been so pretty vetted. So I'm just like, yeah, if Mulaney likes him, then I like him. Any friend of Mulaney's. Yeah. But on that episode, we talked about how there was a court courting process where you can't be friends with somebody in this business until you think they're funny. Yeah, I don't have that. You don't? No. You wouldn't be friends with me if I went up at Setlist and did like some horrible, ignorant, obnoxious piece of shit. You could never, you would never invite me into your home. No, but you didn't have to be that good either. Really? I didn't think you were going to be that good. I understand that. But if, <laughs> I, if I went up and was just meh, yeah. you'd be friends with me? Sure. Good friends? Why not? I know why not. You'd secretly, it would be thinking like if your wife was like a painter and you thought her paintings were garbage, you'd be harboring that. You'd be dungeoned with that truth. And one day, you know, the relationship would go long enough that one day she'd be like, I always get the feeling you don't like my paintings. And it would come out of you like a tumor bursting and disappearing. You'd be like, I fucking hate your paintings. And And we'd have that moment too. Wow. It would eat at you. You don't think so? Well, no. I mean, I wouldn't develop a tumor. It was a comedy tumor. <laughs> the cartoonish. It was a cartoon. A cartoon. No, um, Thank you, Katie. No, I guess so. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you ideally, you 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 are you know, you think people are funny, and but I know I didn't have any kind of sense of you whether or not I just assumed you were funny. Maybe your your instincts also get decent. You know what I mean? I, I feel like. By the way, I, I I also think that this works against me in my career. Is is that is no not my career? I, let me pull that. Let me dial that back. <laughs> um, in your life. In my life. I like I, that your life is smaller than your career. Well, let me take that back a I, few notches. Well, I think that honestly, I'm because I'm nice. Yes. I'm going to go out on a limb. And say I'm nice. You are nice. I'm nice to people. You're a kind I'm, person. I'm nice to other comics when I meet them, and I'm nice to people. And I think a lot of times comics just assume because we don't watch each other's acts generally. Yep. People just assume I'm not funny because I'm nice. Interesting. That, I think that that actually is something I've noticed over the years. Well, if somebody and is an event. What happens is sometimes eventually people will like. Like I like I've known Greg Rogel for years, like for like he's a really great comic. Works at the cellar. I've worked at the cellar with him for years. I worked at all the comedy clubs in New York with him. We never really watch each other's act until mm-hmm. like probably like a month ago. Really? And he was like he, he came down and watched my set and he was like that was good. I like ah. that. that was really fun. I like the thing about the thing. You know? <laughs> so like, oh. wow. Yeah. I like like I like. I, yeah, sometimes you just have a thing where you're like, oh, that person's nice. Yeah. I'm never going to interact with their comedy, ever. Yeah. That's actually But they're funny. nice. I think that comes with time. I think when I was starting out in comedy, I had to like their act because I was so weak and beginning that I had to associate with other uh, people who were at least progressing. And now, having done it over a decade, I can hang out with someone like Chris Thayer, who's my opener. And I asked Chris to open for me before I saw him do stand-up. <laughs> Because I was like, you're super, super, super funny. Yeah. Ian Carmel, another guy I just worked with in Portland, I was just like, I don't watch your act. I hear it through the wall and I hear the crowd laughing. And I never really need to watch your act. You, you've passed the test and you're funny to me. Done. You know yeah. I, mean? I think that comes with time. Maybe you get some good casting instincts. Friend casting. Yeah. And you're just like, he's got it. 
Unfortunately, you can also tell when somebody doesn't have it. It takes a long time, I think, for a comedian to learn how to be genuinely funny uh, naturally without tr- not without appearing like you're trying to be funny, like at that back room at the cellar. I had this really unfortunate thing happen. Not unfortunate, but it was struggle with my movie, which you saw mm-hmm. three quarters of. Uh, I, I, by the way, can I? I'm sorry, you're going to like this. Interview. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm obsessed with it. I want to talk all about it, and I love it. I'm very proud of you, and I'm, I'm very impressed with how it came out. Is proud of you kind of weird to say, but no. I am. Fine. I'm proud of you. It was, it was it's incredible, and it's incredibly legit, and it's really weird to see a friend in something legit where you recognize pretty much all the other actors, and I'm like, what is this? Yeah, Carol Kane and Lauren Ambrose and James yeah. Rebhorn. What is go- you're with the guy who put Al Pacino on trial? Yeah, James Rebhorn is astonishingly good. He was great. He was, he was in fantastic. Beautiful Mind, and uh, he was in uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Yes, uh, he's he's amazing. He's great. He's one of plays those my guys. dad. Carol Kane plays my mom. Yeah, Carol Kane is a legend. Yep, amazing. But you know, it's hard. The the reason I brought it up is it was hard because I directed the film and. Sometimes because I'm, I'm like I said, I'm nice. My persona, if you describe it that way, um, is a little slow. Sure. A little maybe dim-witted sometimes. A little maybe slightly tweaked, dim-witted, more yeah. dim-witted than I really am. <laughs> um, uh, and I... I think that that was hard as a director sometimes because people would go, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And I would, and I at certain points I just had to be like, no, actually I know what I'm. I, even though I d- I've never directed a movie, I know what I think is funny, right? And I know what I think is good, and that's all we have, right? I wrote the movie. I'm directing the movie. If we don't go with what I think is good, then we're all fucked. At least we'll have one vision that didn't work instead exactly. of parts of fifty visions. That yeah. Suck. And uh, and so that was that's a struggle though because because uh, yeah I have I also have this thing where I'm very um, uh, casual as I just it seems like I'm just talking on stage mm-hmm. and I don't I'm not prepared and and I'm not even doing material this guy just wandered off the street and he's just on stage and so like often I'll have people come up to me after shows and they'll be like I thought you were great. Yeah, you know, and they'll be like almost consoling me. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty good too, you know. And yeah. and then a lot, and then other people will be like, hey, do you want to come to uh, my show? And it'll we'll pay you fourteen dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, I you know well, you kind of do this as a job, and yeah. you know, there's an there's an agent, and right. you know what I mean. There's a lot of that in my life. That's, That's like, like a constant in my life. That reminds me of that Brian Regan story where he bombed at a corporate show so bad, someone afterwards told him to hang in there. The addendum That's to a that, hilarious story. It, yeah, I know that story. It was on uh, Marin. Yeah. The addendum to that story, I think, that was missing is that Brian, in my opinion, should have been, I just made $75,000. Like, he should have told him what his corporate rate was and been like, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Don't worry about old Brian. Uses stage voice. Yeah, off use, stage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Use Hi- it in life. Hi- hypothetical to play to your impersonating strength. Ah, what are you sharpshooting me? You <laughs> son of a bitch. Did you ever get uh, mad? I'm always On interested. The set? Yeah, I'm interested in in nice people getting mad. On the set, I very rarely got mad. I, I don't think I ever yelled. Actually, not even once. Um. 
I was disappointed. Yeah. Sometimes I think that that's how I expressed my anger at circumstance is or at performance at performance and and people um showing hostility towards you. Yeah, sure. Who's getting hostile well, towards it's, you? It's very movie sets are they're a very precarious uh place. It's it's the workplace and it's you're working 15 hours and a lot of times, you know, we were shooting at Union Hall. Yeah. My character's a bartender at Union Hall in Brooklyn. And you, we couldn't, it's a low-budget film, we couldn't afford to be at Union Hall in the daytime. Yeah. Uh, like, what, you know, during hours when they were running, because that's when they make their money, which is what we would prefer. We'd prefer to shoot, like, noon to 8 p.m. or noon right. to 10, something right. like that. We had to shoot their off hours. We had to shoot from 2 a.m. to 4 p.m. So I had to go to bed every night for a week at 6 p.m., wake up at midnight, show up at work at 1 a.m. Yeah. And work till 4 p.m. <laughs> That's a lot of and, work. Uh, and so you can imagine, like, if everyone on the set, all the crew and all the cast, is that sleep-deprived. Wow. There's going to be some edge. Yeah. So there's some edge. That's a U2 concert. There's so much edge. These are the kinds of jokes I make. It helps when the guest, like, enjoys them. Just imagining that. It's a YouTube never... concert. There's so much edge. I mean, I get because the you edge is in. Are you familiar with the stereotype that the band? No, no I get that he's in YouTube, but I don't even think the joke checks out because it's not like it's a band composed of four people named Edge. Yep. It's just there's one guy in the We're band cutting into edge. the joke. It's on the table, and we've cut its rib cage open, and the heart <laughs> is black and shriveled. We shouldn't have gone in there. We don't even have health care. I know. We have to get our own health care. <laughs> well, uh, you know what I loved about the movie was it it has such, well, a lot of things, but it has such a fondness. I don't know if you're like this. I love talking about comedy and talking about different uh, aspects of doing comedy, like those first shows when you have a car and yeah. that's your credit. Your credit is that you can make it to the show. Yeah. But that first scene where you come back to the hotel really stirred it up in me and kind of makes you you feel warm. That's the most emotional part of the movie for me. The first time yeah. he comes back to the hotel. When I sit sit down on the hotel bed and it's playing Backstreet Boys, yeah. I want it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for me and like the jump choke, up and down that's my choked up moment. I love that moment. Yeah. It's such a weird thing. I, I, the first time you come back to a hotel after a and show. And the hotel sucks, the but hotel you sucks. think it's great. Yeah. Because it represents the re- the reason I mean it's like if people have seen the movie and they agree with this then I'm just repeating it and if they disagree they're like it didn't make me feel like that yeah <laughs> but, uh, but, but it some, did me there's yeah that's there's, the scene that stuck out there's right? some there's something about hotels that is um it represents a certain kind of independence uh, well that's what and it is if you've spent your whole life being sheltered like I I was in some ways. I like in the. I grew up in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. I yeah. grew up in a small town. Shrewsbury. There were no expectations of where my life would go. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if you start doing things that are in the world, even if they're like in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or yeah. Morgantown, West Virginia, like, and you're in like a hotel there, and no right. one thought you would ever go there. Yeah. But you're there for a reason that someone's paying you, even if they're paying you forty bucks. Yeah. That's meaningful. Yeah. You ventured out. It, yeah. it really, I, I think you and I have that uh, profoundly in common. I don't know if I've ever realized that before, but the idea was sh- very sheltered. And then it was comedy that gave me just not even go out of town. It gave me a reason to be out past 8 o'clock. If I had my way, I don't think I would, I would go out. 
at night, not all, when I was little. Now I would because I'm addicted to doing something in the evening. But when I was growing up, I was anxious and I was, you know, a mama's boy and I would stay home. And then all of a sudden you're, you're going to Chicago, you're going to yeah. flying around doing shows, yeah. hotel, ordering in, the pizza. I was in my mom, I, in real life and similar to the film, I bought my mom's station wagon from her. Dis- discouraging fact you I discovered as as an adult later often when parents have faith in their children <laughs> they give them their car hmm. I bought my mom's car for $2500 it had 80,000 miles on it she marked it up like she was trying to get the short money <laughs> she was like I just don't see it like, I got to get my money out now. She wanted to sell the stock in Berbiglia. Yeah. Like, she was like, I got to get his waiting tables money from college before. Yeah, I don't know. That's, no, you misread my expression. That was hilarious and perfect. I'm just shocked. It's, it's amazing. I'm yeah. glad that you got to remedy that in the film. And so. Uh, <laughs> they give it to you in the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you fixed but, uh, that. Yeah, and then I drove my mom's car. I mean, I put. A lot of road comics can say this for themselves, but I put like 100,000 miles on a car in like four years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a wild thing, that that first big jaunt on the road. And uh, I, I it just really... I, do you feel that same way? Do you like thinking about that? Do you have a warm nostalgia for that? It sounds like you do. Because yeah. it sounded like you're independent. Yeah, and also like there's a certain... Um, this is a really weird, um, possibly unrelatable thought. There's a... There's, there seems to be kind of, con- and I don't know if they're real or imaginary. There seem to be constant brushes with death early on in comedy, in in, in any kind of road career, yeah. where, where you're like, this is much more dangerous than my other life was. Right, right, like, right. like I would have incidents where I remember being like on the on the shoulder, my car broke down on the shoulder of the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and I'm just waiting for a AAA tow truck to come for like two and a half hours and there's no Mm -hmm. lights on the road and eventually the tow truck comes and there was a and there was as the the guy's putting the car up on the tow there's a truck coming towards us an 18 wheeler that's like veering back and forth like clearly the guy's falling asleep at the wheel holy shit and we might die and and what happened was is i jumped up on the embankment and put my face against the embankment like a snow angel mm. face down like and on like in mud we call that a snow devil snow devil <laughs> and uh and uh and 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 the, the tow truck driver jumped on top of the car uh and tried to make himself as small as possible he was not very small and, uh, <laughs> and, and then uh and then at the last second the truck Veered back, like, like it, it was like just inches from our death. And then we're driving, you know, like minutes later, we're driving to the, you know, back to the gas station or whatever it is. And I'm in the passenger seat and he's driving the tow truck and he starts smoking a cigarette. And I ask him for a cigarette and then we're both smoking cigarettes. We have nothing in common except that we almost just died together. Yeah. And um, he's on the phone with his with his wife and he's just like i love you so bad i fucking love you so bad like he was just like having this really traumatic moment and uh and i was just like i almost died and this is exactly what i want to do be in that yeah do the show i wouldn't rather be anywhere else oh that's great yeah man 
That, I love that. Well, that that is the feeling, and that feeling comes across in the movie. That 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 happiness, the jumping on the bed. It's not the story of Miss You Baby calling the girlfriend depressed. Yeah. That was a scene on the cutting room floor, by the way, that scene that I'm just describing. I had oh, really? written that out. But what happened was is that the stakes are so high in it that it actually tipped the movie over. Yeah. In a certain way. Like it took away from the fact that at the end of the film he jumps out the window and right. he nearly dies. Right, right. If there's right. a double nearly dies, yep. like it takes it away. That's interesting. From that. That's very interesting. But you, you, I, I feel like we should edit this. It's, I feel like I'm boring our listeners. To, are you kidding? Yeah. I was just riveting. Really? I was riveted. All right. I, I, and I'm, it's, uh, we can talk. I'd love to talk about how I'm feeling. I'm trying to find that sweet Berbiglia. I want you, but I want you to feel like it's going great, too. Yeah. yeah. But I'm already like, uh, I'm always interrupting and yelling and being too loud and stuff. But I was like, I love that we just had that moment. I'll never forget that story. I, I can picture the driver. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I've been, I just saw, I was just there. It was great. Yeah. You have a lot of things like that. You probably talk about this a lot. You were t-boned, the most delicious yeah. accident. A tag I gave you. Remember? You used to do my show at Housing Works. Me and Jesse. Yeah, I remember that. And you would work out that story. There's actually a clip of on YouTube of me. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's me doing stand up in the first thirty seconds of it because I didn't know how to edit. Are you? wrapping up because I started the camera because I was taping my set uh, and you were working out that story and you were hit by a car also yeah, on the road. That's right, yeah. And I remember... In that- Los Angeles. That's actually why I don't really drive when I'm here. Really? Because of that story? Yeah. I very rarely drive when I'm here. Because you... I was hit by a drunk driver. I mean, Los Angeles drivers are lunatics. I know. I As I was coming to your room, I heard some drunk people go, drive safe. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the worst. It drives me crazy. And I hate, you know, it's a big pet peeve of mine. And I, I very, there's all, there's like almost no third rail jokes that comedians can tell for me. Like I, I'm game for anything, but I hate it when comedians tell drunk driving jokes. Really? Like basically saying like, oh, it's, drunk driving's funny. It's okay. We all do it. Oh, the standard. They can't catch us all. Yeah. And I just... It makes me so mad because it's like no, you, someone could dry, someone could laugh at that and go and kill a fucking kid absolutely right now. They're gonna walk out, they're gonna laugh, and then gonna fucking kill a kid. Yeah, like, do you understand? Like it's not, it's not removed right in any way. There's no time to sleep on it and think about it and intellectually process that something's a joke right. no they're not in their right mind in their not in their right mind you're telling them a joke that tells them it's okay to not be in their right mind yeah. and then they could kill a fucking kid yeah like that really gets me it's completely true it's this is actually very very interesting because we just had a very interesting conversation on the phone about this where we were talking about we're going to bring this back to comedy as religion and I really, oh, want, I, yeah, yeah. I really want you to talk about this because we were talking about, I said to you, every time uh, be, uh, the topic of offensive material comes up on the show, we always get in trouble. Because as a comedian, I tend to just give people green lights to kind of do whatever. Although sitting in front of you, I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty airtight argument to not make jokes that make But laugh. I'm not going to criticize someone who does it. It just burns in me. Yeah. I think maybe you could criticize people to do it, I, but it's hard. It's the same thing with rape. Well, this is what we were talking about. We were, we were talking. I was talking to you specifically about rape jokes, but couldn't you make the argument that somewhere in someone's subconscious that they have not a drunken state, but a, a rape, a rapist state, 
that a joke that makes light of it could some on some level be giving them another green light being like, it's rape. It's something that Mike Birbiglia joked about that night or, or Daniel Tosh joked about that night. Yeah, rape jokes just – they just tend to annoy me more than I'm offended by them unless they're really good. Yeah. Like that's kind of how I feel about every topic. Yeah. Like same thing with drunk driving. You have yeah. a drunk driving joke that blows my mind. Yeah. Like great. It's probably but it's it's the hacky it's the hacky drunk driving joke. It's the hacky rape joke where I'm just like, oh, you're just like the you're just like the worst of people. Right. Like why are we even here? I didn't know. We have to listen to you. Yeah. You're the one with the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not with a good rape joke, not with a good drunk driving joke, but just with the bad ones. Right. You're just like, ugh. Right. What a waste. Right. We could be listening to the guy in the second row who's probably smarter than you. Right. If you let the guy in the second row go on stage, he probably at the end of the night would say, hey, don't drive, drive drunk, but hey, they can't catch us all, and would get off on a, on a, <laughs> That's, yeah. a road-tested yeah, laugh. Exactly. He didn't yeah. even know he was riffing 200,000 comedians' material. But I got in your way of you. You were making a point about comedy. Yeah, but this, this was something that you, you and I were talking about, and you were like, this is too lofty. And I was like, no, this is exactly the ballpark of the podcast that I'm trying to do. We were talking about... And when you say the podcast you're trying to do, you mean WTF with Mark Maron? <laughs> You won Angry Comedy Dad's love for another month. <laughs> Good job. Angry Comedy Dad? That's Marin. <laughs> You've won his respect for another month. Angry uh, Comedy Dad. <laughs> that's what I call him. That must be a reference to... His episode. Oh, his episode. You did with him? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because he is. We all want his love for some reason. I love Mark. He's great in the movie. He is good in the movie. He's great in Sleepwalk with I him. I didn't mean to downgrade that. He is great in that movie. You ever have that happen? I just did that. He's great in the movie. He is good in that movie. He's okay in that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? He is great. Yeah. Here's the, the topic. Is that you That's, and I... Yeah, sorry. I would like to make one... Somebody let, left this comment on the Facebook page, which I thought was really interesting, that... Uh, there's a creature in Harry Potter that if uh, it turns into whatever you think of, do you know what that's called? Uh, oh shit! It's okay if it comes to you, just yell it out. So the the trick to beating this demon monster is to you're parading me right now. I need eye contact, or I start trailing off. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to think of what it what it's called. I don't know. Oh, it's okay. I really wish I had called Chelsea on that hundredth episode, but I didn't have the balls. But I have the balls with you. Patronus. I guess it's a okay. Okay, it's a Patronus. So a Patronus... Is anything that you're afraid of? Mm, this is not <laughs> what I wanted to happen. It's okay. It's a monster that... It turn, if you think about uh, razor blades, it turns into razor blades. So the trick to beating it is, of course, is to not think of... To only think yeah. of light, happy things. So you defeat a demon by being silly. You think of candy canes or whatever. So the person made an interesting point on the Facebook wall where it's like... That's what they're doing. That's what they think it's potentially being done if you make light of big, heavy things. Yeah, I understand that. Sure. That is, that's one really good argument. Your argument, which I thought was brilliant, that I'd love to talk to you about, was comedy being a type of new religion, which was the idea that there are more and more atheists, or, and there are also more and more people that are religious but maybe are disillusioned with their religion. Sure, yeah. Even if they affiliate themselves with that. 
And then we see this fervor for comedy. And comedy, you know, this has come up on the show before, has similarities to a ministry. You're on stage. You're, you're calming people. You're salving their fears. Yeah, similar to a sermon. It's exactly like a yeah. sermon. So, so in, in the, I guess the, the analogy would be it's, it's the sermon and, and the, the, hum, the, the, uh, the gospel would be what happened that week. Yes. And then at the end of the week on Saturday night, the comedy club, you're giving a sermon about it, essentially. Right. And there's your congregation. And your fans are very similar to your flock, yeah. your followers, sure. like-minded people, similar similar sense of humor, similar sense of spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your kindred. And I always say this because it's... I had a joke. I think it's on Two Drink Mike, which is my first album, where I say comedy... Is like, or movies. I think movies have this too, or like the new religion. You know, like mm-hmm. I was talking to this girl recently, and I was like, I hated that movie. And then she was like, That movie is the reason I stopped cutting myself. You know, hmm. and then I had to pull it back. I'm like, It was pretty good. I like yeah. the ending. She yeah. didn't cut herself. I thought that was redemptive. Uh, and, uh, but the comedy's similar. I think it, it's, it's talking a, at its best, it's talking about the big issues, the big existential questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's it's very personal for people. It's very personal for me. Like the people who I love, like I love Doug Stanhope because I think Doug Stanhope presents a worldview that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And as he's presenting it, I'm laughing my ass off. And mm-hmm. it, I don't agree with everything he says. And he he's a guy who tell he'll tell drunk driving jokes and rape jokes and in you know God knows what. And right. it's great. But his, it's like mind expanding. Yeah. That's in, yes, it is. It I, makes me feel more enriched after I leave a Doug Stanhope show. He's one of the few comics I watch, by the way, because mm-hmm. I don't really watch comics. But he'll like my wife and I'll go when he's at <laughs> Caroline's, and we'll make a night of it. Really? Yeah. That's funny. I can't watch him because, uh, and I'm not trying to bring myself in on all those compliments. I started watching him in ten minutes, and he started talking about two or three topics that I that I was very interested in and was working on, and I was like, I can't, I can't watch this. Mm. Uh, not not that we're so similar, but I just don't even want to see his take on those topics. Mm-hmm. It'll ruin my mind. But you were saying that when someone like Tosh or whoever makes a rape joke, the religious part is you're bringing that. You're going to have to make this point because I because I don't remember how you put it perfectly. But it was the idea that you're endorsing it somehow by introducing that into the the colors that you paint with. They want you, Mike, to be preaching a gospel that they like. So if you're if you start if you literally if you started doing a lot of rape jokes, your audience wouldn't like it because that's not the sermon that they came to hear. That's not the religion that they believe in, and that's not the worldview that they want to participate with. Yeah, it's a little God. I you have a little bit mixed metaphors, so I, I'm trying to go back and remember actually what I said. When yeah, we, I remember where I was when we were on the. I was I was in my kitchen. <laughs> When we were on the phone, we were talking about this, but, but, yeah, I think that laughter, laughter, whether we like it or not, denotes agreement. Mm-hmm. It's like this. It's this physical agreement. Yeah, in what the person is saying, and that's what's so fascinating about it is that you're not even expressing an opinion. Your body is expressing an opinion. Your <laughs> brain is expressing an opinion. It's not even you. Mm. It's just like this deep subconscious thing that's fucking coming out of you. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so fascinating. And that's why I think people get really upset when, like, Daniel Tosh tells a rape joke. And they look around and people are laughing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I was raped. 
mm-hmm. and you're laughing at this and there's a huge disconnect where where you know it like like there's it's not clear what that person is laughing of, about it are they laughing at the taboo of it or are they laughing because they agree with you know what you know what the joke is saying about rape in the hypothetical character that is Daniel Tosh or whatever right. you know persona that is like it's there's a million different reasons why you can laugh at something and what's tough is like you know if you've been raped or if you, and it's like and you're seeing people laugh about it it's fuck it's real yeah and so i sympathize with people who have that but then more than that I sympathize with the idea of that that free speech is all important and that we're laughing at these things so that we can work them out and so that, you know, so that nothing is taboo. Right. And that if nothing is taboo, then potentially we can reach a point where we can all be healed. Yeah. To bring it back to the religious metaphor – we can be healed by, you know, the, my director of uh, my girlfriend's boyfriend and, and Sleepwalk With Me is a guy, Seth Barrett, who's directed scores of brilliant plays and co-directed the movie with me. He always uses the phrase, we're only as sick as our secrets. Hmm. And, and, I, and that's um, an interesting guiding principle for comedy, which is if, if you're joking about, you know, I, I talk on Sleepwalk With Me Live about... I had a tumor in my bladder, I had a malignant tumor when I was 19. And it's I remember like, that. And I've had so many people come up to me and be like, I've heard that bit on the album and it made me laugh and made me cry. And then it made me comfortable joking about it with people who I'm close to. And that's when, for Wait, me... Did they have tumors as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In other words, they had cancer and then they weren't comfortable joking about it. And Yeah. And... Yeah, and, and, and I had a kid come up. I did a show in Thousand Oaks, California recently and who has a, a brain tumor, and he came backstage, and he's been in chemo, and it's, yeah, he's having a really, really hard time, and he seemed like a great, great guy, and he was he was just, like, saying to me it, it that you, he was like that you that you talk about like these similar things and that you've had a similar experience yes. is really meaningful to me and it makes me feel comfortable about questioning everything because mm-hmm. I think that's kind of at the core of comedy at its best is like questioning everything mm-hmm. and that's cathartic yeah that or can be cathartic of course I don't want to be on a high horse. Because some of this stuff sounds preachy, and I, I don't want to no. say I'm, I, what I'm saying to the listeners, or if anyone's listening at all at this point, is it, this is in the case this is in the case scenario of it working. You know what I right. mean? Like like someone might be listening, might might go, yeah, that's all true, but Mike Birbiglia's comedy sucks, right, 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 <laughs> or like Pete Holmes sucks. Like I don't even like right. these guys, but right. I agree with the point you're making. Like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Some maybe it works when I'm doing it. Maybe it doesn't. But right. but that is the principle of it that I think that I believe in. Of course, and I'm I'm right there with you. And I don't even think that is that's the regular horse for this show. I'm gonna grab a water and listen to you. Okay, I can I can do no, that. I uh, 
<laughs> no, no, no. Oh, that was way too fast. I was ready to go on a tangent. I, I'm completely with you, that idea that comedy can be really healing, and, you're, and we are only as sick as our secrets. And in doing this show, as, as you know, having listened to a couple episodes, is the idea that the more I let out, the more I'm just kind of like comfortable in my own skin. Great. And then yeah. the more people I meet that are really big fans of the show, the more I get stories like that as well. Where sure. Versions of your thing. You know what's interesting, the, Mike, is, is like you love Stanhope. Uh, but you are a guy who has a unique uh, effect on me is when I was on the verge of like, I was like, am I going to be a clean comedian or am I going to be <laughs> a regular comedian? <laughs> you were a guy, and I mean this in a kind of a beautiful way, in a respectful way, that I always saw you as the guy pulling, like wait, like directing the plane to come and dock at a, at a clean gate. Mm-hmm. You gave me some wonderful advice at one point. You said, think fuck and don't say it, which is an old theater trick, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I actually see you do when I see you do yeah. comedy. I'm like, oh, he's thinking fuck, and he's saying whatever. He's saying anything else. Just to clarify so people understand what sure. that means, is like if you want to make a point with emphasis, you can act that out and imagine that you're saying fuck, but you don't have to say it. Right. So you can go, you know, instead of saying like, like, that is so – that pool bar area is so fucking trendy. You could say that. Right. Or you could say that pool bar area is so ugh, trendy. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's like kind of the same thing. Yeah, I understand. Especially if they can see you and your body changes yeah. and your face changes and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what's interesting to me and when I ultimately decided to not – uh, be a clean guy, which I understand is like a forfeiting of a certain market or whatever. But here you are, we're swearing, and, and we can talk about whatever we want. Where Do you long to bring that into your act? It, it's No. Why not? Because I, do, I don't curse on stage because um, I don't, uh, I don't want to hurt old people's ears. Ha! <laughs> 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 that th- sounds like a letter to Santa. <laughs> I think there's, a, I think there's a generational thing where um, people above the age of about sixty, yep, um, they didn't grow up on cursing on television and movies, and so as a result, it's and I had to, you know, my parents are like this, and so I'm sympathetic to it because I'm very close with my parents. It's like acid on their ears. Yes. And, or it's like, it's like a ringing sound or something. It's just like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Right. And I just, I, I don't want to do that to people. But not just swearing. What about just like content where you want to talk about? I talk um, about anything. You do? Like, I haven't seen you since probably your present. So let's talk about how you've grown since then. Yeah, I talk about anything. I, I talk about sex. I talk about, I mean, the, my, I talk about, yeah, I, there's, I don't think there's, there's no any... topic that you wouldn't get into. It's just the swearing. Yeah. So your parents don't care if you talk about masturbating alone in a hotel. No, like I have a masturbation joke in my show right now where I say, uh, it's in my girlfriend's boyfriend, which I'm touring with. I think I have like eight more cities and then I'm done. Um, oh. Austin. Austin, Dallas, Florida, by the way. Florida always thinks I hate them, and I don't. Uh, uh, Orlando, Coral Springs, and I think Tampa. And um, and then Worcester, Mass, and Burlington, Vermont. Plugs. Worcester. Um, that's where I'm from. That, that's right. Shrewsbury, right outside of Worcester. Yeah, I'm right outside of um, And uh, I have a joke. Yeah, I have a joke in the show, my girlfriend's boyfriend show, where I say, 
you know, the reason why marriage can't work, you know, one of the reasons it's in, it's in a litany, but I say, you know, you know, monogamy is impossible or at very least not a sure thing. Mm -hmm. When I say that my female friends are, you know, people assume that I'm implying that just men are incapable of being faithful. I think women are just as incapable for more complicated reasons. You know, with men, it's very simple. We have a very simple sexuality. When I say that, my female friends are like, well, we like sex just as much as you do. And I say, I, you know, it, sure, but it's different. And they say how, and I say, have you ever masturbated while driving a car? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have no problem saying that in front of 70-year-olds. And you know what's weird? They don't, and they don't have to clean up. <laughs> There's no cleanup, and we do have to clean up, and we do. <laughs> I've masturbated in a car. Who hasn't? Who ha or driving a car? I mean, who hasn't? Yeah, yeah. There's very few places I have. But anyway, I, the reason I, the reason I'm comfortable doing that joke is because I think it's a good enough joke that it buys you the dirtiness. I understand. I understand. Well, that's great. And I'm sorry to be uninformed with your act, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about—that we don't really watch each other's comedy. That's but, not. The, that's not the but, friends we are. But like Doug Stanhope, for example, you know, he just doesn't. I know I've never talked to him about it, but I'm just assuming he just doesn't care about seventy-year-olds being in his audience. But and I the, do. Like the, I, I want my shows. I want teenagers through a hundred years old to come to my shows and enjoy it together. Yeah. Like I, like I love it when people, like fifty, sixty-year-old parents, come with their kids. Like I just love it. That's something I thought I wanted, and then I had an epiphany, or not an epiphany, I had a realization where I was like, I don't want to be Brian Regan in the grocery store and have an old woman tell me how much she likes the peanut butter and jelly in the same jar bit. It didn't, doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> Having lived my life so censored till I was about 28, yeah. not even like swearing in life, yeah. uh, now I'm rebelling against that. I might, I might turn around, like Gaffigan was dirtier than he is now. Uh, you know, on his albums, his early albums, he swears. If I were effectively stuff. swearing, I would do it. I just, as a writer, I just don't think it's good word choice. Yeah, I think it. I think it is. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, well, if it is for you, then that's great. Right, right, right. And I didn't. I didn't think that was us. Like at loggerheads, I just think sometimes. In fact, the the message of seeing a friendly face golden retriever boy that is me saying something that he knows four years ago would have offended himself. Yeah. And still kind of does offend myself. I'm trying to kick the borders out of that seems who, great. who I am. That's my narrative. That, that seems like a good situation. Yeah, it's a, I, th I think it's a fun thing to watch. It's fun for me to watch. I'm stuck on the inside, but I'm still watching how it unfolds. Yeah. Um, but that's really interesting, man. I, I wanted to... Uh, this Gaffigan said to me something at one point, which I thought was a really good point, which is he, he goes, he goes, you know, you only have like four curses in your act. You just, just pluck them. You can find better words. Yeah. He goes, it, it, I mean, what he was implying was, if you have 40 curses in your act, right. clearly it's integral. Right. But if it's not integral, then who cares? Yep. Pluck you em. know, I actually don't even think I'm talking about swearing as much as I thought I was. I think I'm talking about, like, when I warned my mom about my hour, it was that she was like, what are you talking about? What kind of material do you want? And I was like, you know, like, masturbation jokes. And she was like, oh. <laughs> like, she was, like, more bothered by that than I think if I was like, these fucking unicorns aren't real. You uh, know what I mean? Yeah. But if I'm, like, talking about some real stuff or whatever, real stuff, like jerking off while driving, that would offend my mother uh, more. Or whatever. 
This merges pretty well into the relationship thing. It's it's really interesting watching. You and I talk about relationships a lot, by the way. On the I phone. know. Can we I talk know. about that? Of course. We can talk about anything. What do we talk about? What do you mean? What's our standard conversation that you and I have on the telephone? Because you're single, correct? Yeah. Yes. And I think that's usually what it's about. I'm interested in, in, I don't think we have an encompassing theme. What is it? You're a nice guy. Yeah. Who wants to be aggressively single and it's at odds with being nice. Oh, yes. What I want and what's expected of me. Yeah. Uh, who I am, who I want to be, what I could be, great power, great responsibility. The more sex is available to me, the more I'm at odds with uh, what I do with that. So My friend that. Andy and I used to describe this as, um, we actually, yeah, I won't go into detail, but we had a show concept for it at one point, but it, really? that's a whole other thing. The but 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 we actually, the way that we would describe it is like, if you're... If you're a nice person, it's at, if you're a nice guy, it's at odds with like having an aggressive kind of single life uh, where you're dating a lot of different women every night of the week. Kind of right. Thing. Because inherently you hook up with someone and then you're like, all right, see you around. And the next day you're like, do you want to get coffee? Yeah. You know, and it's like, and then you're back to square one. Well, it's, and then you're just like. Dating you're in a relationship person. with yeah. that person. It's an it's an empathy thing. It's being an empath. You you spend a lot of time. It's a writer thing too. I think it's also just a sensitivity thing. Imagining what that person's reality is like and what it, what it's like after you leave. It's, it's horrible. It's hard to not just shut off in your brain. Um, but I I've had sex as you know with people that I do not date. <laughs> and then I feel at odds about it and I call you and because one of the things that really struck me about the live show and I haven't gotten to it yet in the film if it is in the film but what I, remember I came and saw it in New York was that you talked beautifully and candidly and in my dick tumor kind of way you discussed you know what I mean by that you opened up my own ability to laugh at the idea that you were on the road and you had the girl, the cocktail waitress or whatever, that knew you had a girlfriend but was willing to have sex with you. And you say, I think you say, oh, I want this. Like, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. That was something that you wanted. This is something I could see happening again. This is something I, something I could like see that. happening yeah. again. And that, was, that, was, that dramatized in that moment that struggle with me where I was like, I am a golden sweet boy. I just am. If I'm a serial golden sweet boys, they're 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 friendly guys. They're happy people. They don't want to hurt anybody. They're uh, and they're is that also, a thing that you made up. Yeah, golden just, sweet I, boy. I just said okay, it for okay, the first gotcha. time. It's not a thing. Just gold, Seinfeld calls himself Golden Boy. On okay, one of his favorite T-shirts because he's kind of a golden boy. Gotcha. And then like also just a sweet boy. And then but it, it comes. I didn't know if it was one of these stereotypes that I ah, need to understand. These golden sweet boys cannot drive. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> um, golden sweet boys. These golden sweet boys all have fake teeth. I've if actually, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> I've been saying this on stage lately because I have this this bit about trying to have sex. And then at the beginning of the of the bet, I'll say, if it's fans, if it's weirdos, I'll go, I know. I don't say Golden Sweet Boy. I go, I know you want me to be your Magical Sweet Boy. And I am. But Magical Sweet Boys need sex, too. That's, that, that is something I now say at the beginning of this yeah. joke. Because that's, that's what we're dealing with. I, yeah. I, I am that guy. That's not an act. I do care about people. I have a hard time 
just fucking. But then there's another part of me that sometimes, not all the time, feels that way and just wants to fucking be carnal and, and be like a beatnik and who cares? It's free love and oh, you're using me and I'm using you. We're both being whores. Let's get out of here. See you later. Good night. I, and it was nice. And thank you. Who cares? We didn't hurt anybody. So long. Sure. You know what I mean? Trying to trying to drill that into myself. There is always the part of me that I think I, I don't know where I learned it. My mother, Mulaney, would say something like this. We don't believe them. Like if a girl's like, I'm cool with it, it's fine. We're like, you're, you're a pretender. And I can either choose to believe that pretend or not. Since then, I have met girls that I think, I'm like, I believe you. <laughs> I'm like, I believe yeah, you. Yeah, of course. That this didn't mean anything to you. Yeah. Which is fine. And then I have to wonder how I feel about myself. Yeah. It's a little of both. It's very complicated. Because I, I, was, I was kind of unable to be single for that long because of kind of that. Like I, I was it's complicated. instantly reading into what the other person was thinking, what they wanted, what they wanted for the next five years. Mm. Like in one night, I was thinking of that. That's, that sounds yeah, exactly it, like me. And it's just like... My overthinking of my own life, I was projecting onto someone else's life, mm-hmm. which is just not healthy. Yeah, and 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 you don't you don't need to be doing that. Yeah, but that that that's what I would do. And then, but you you, you were a relationship for eight years. Is that true? Is that the truth? The one from the movie. The one from the movie. The one from the movie was like yeah, about five or six years. And, and I say in the movie it's eight, but it was five or six. That I did. Do you remember? I did a commercial with her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? And I texted you, and I texted you a photo of her, just her, and then I immediately regretted it. I hit send on the photo. She was like, he's not going to believe that we're doing this together. And then I sent a photo of just her standing there that she posed for. It wasn't like a sneaky photo. Oh, she's wonderful. I know she's, she's a great person. And, we had a, and she's really talented. We had a lot of fun doing that commercial together. But then I was like, we should have at least been in it together or something. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of which, I brought this up to Mulaney, and he was laughing so hard. I was like, I got to tell Pete that um, that I was going to be the E-Trade baby. Oh, yeah. And that I was going to bring that up because... And then he was like, oh, there's a whole thing with John Glazer about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In another episode that's really awkward. Oh, yeah. And so I'll tell you my side of... I didn't hear that. Sure. The John Glazer thing, but I... We'll tell you my side, my my relationship with Just the E-Trade baby thing. Don't get mad at me. I'm not mad at anybody. I know. We've talked, um, we've talked about E-Trade before. It's come up. Well, what's weird about that campaign, because you're the voice of it, right? I am the voice. I haven't always been the voice. Yeah. Okay. So that campaign started, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. Mm, five, I think. Okay. And um, I would always get like emails and Facebook messages from people saying, um, We love you on hey, the E-Trade. Hey, you're the E-Trade baby. Yeah. You know, and and... All the time. <laughs> and I was just like, and so I watched it one time. I was like, oh, yeah, that does sound like me. That's funny. And I always thought, like, oh, it's parallel development or whatever. You know, they just True. got us a guy who kind of sounds like me and kind of great ruminates R- on things. Great like, R&B band, parallel development. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, and, and, then, and then one day... They called me um, and said, "Will you come in and oh, this read was around the time that I got it and read for the E Trade to be the E Trade baby?" Yeah, I was like, "Oh, that's funny. They're calling me in for this thing that people constantly tell me that I sound like or sounds like me." Mm-hmm. 
So I went in and did like three sessions, like on a, on a number of days, mm-hmm. like where they were full voiceover sessions, like paid. Mm-hmm. And then I even met the writers, and the writers were big fans of mine, mm-hmm. which at that time there weren't that many of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they just stole my personality and then made it into their campaign, and then they're making me audition to be it. I could, yeah. And <laughs> then they gave it to you. <laughs> So, like, my reality with the E-Trade Baby is so weird. Yeah. Because it went from being, oh, they, there's, these thing, there's this thing that's like me. Oh, they're asking me to audition for it. Oh, they stole it from me. Oh, they stole it from me, then gave it to my friend Pete. Uh, that's how I would interpret the events if I were in your position, absolutely. And what makes E-Trade such a difficult thing for me to talk about, and one of the things that made it so weird with Glazer was that I certainly have to protect my interest in discussing this topic, which yeah. I, I hate. It's the only thing in, in my life that I have to be like careful. So you don't you. get fired. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get fired. I, I enjoy the job. Not, yeah. not just the, the benefits of the job, but I enjoy doing the work. I like it a lot. So the only thing I would say to that is there's 500,000 writers of that campaign. I don't know who you met, but unless you met the creator of the campaign, and he was like, I'm a big fan, then I think he would be like, oh, did I influence you in the creation? Because I, I, you know, every, we actually have a joke, or I, we joke about it, I should say, that we burn through so many writers. Uh, this guy, Devin, who actually works on it, who is a stand-up, when I saw him last time I was in New York, I said to one of the producers, I go, Devin's still here? Because they just burn, they burn through him, like Letterman speed, mm. like a couple months, wow. and then they're gone. For so, such a shitty campaign. Ah, uh, that's two burns you've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> two burns, you son You're of a bitch. You're talking about it like it's SNL. I know, well, that's what I do. You, I, I, I talk about it. Incredibly highly because I, I think about it all the time. No, I understand. I'm of course, you, of course you do. Uh, but that I'm is sure you're very good in it. If I weren't tivoing through it, I'm sure I'd, oh I would enjoy it. God. You know, a lot of people pause and go back. You can go. You can go back. And she's laughing. Uh, Let her laugh. Yeah. Give, her, <laughs> give the, her a microphone. Let the, it's physical. It. It's a physical laughter. Uh, she's laughing, right? Because it's true. The endorsing, telling laugh. Anyway, <laughs> so the point is, so the point, that's my relationship with that E-Trade thing, which I would have loved to have done, but I'm, I'm glad that you were doing. What a nice way to end that. I mean that. That's nice of you. I'm surprised that you didn't get it. Todd Berry, the day of the Glazer incident, because I brought up that Glazer didn't get it, and it came down to he and I. It was the two of us. And I thought that would turn into a, a really funny, what I had on the notes was baby off. I thought we'd do a baby off. And instead, it just uh, was a lesson in that I can't just ask whatever I want, and that sometimes people might be rightfully sensitive about something. Yeah. So that's when I started pre-screening people. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's because of that episode. Up into that episode, you I, didn't pre-screen me. I didn't pre-screen you. I, I don't pre-screen for these because we can edit it out. But in front of a live audience, oh, it's a little hard to go back and be like, gotcha. uh, although uh, I guess it was just on, and I did pre-screen them one question. I'm concerned. Huh. I'm concerned that you're bored. Not at all. Okay. Uh, I'm concerned that we're boring. No. That's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I take that on myself. No, because because you're, you? you're always interesting. But I, well, that's I, very sweet of you to say. I think I think you're doing really great. I, I wonder why. It might maybe it's late. 
Yeah, I just flew here. So, and you also just flew here. So, yeah. what time is it to you? Three hours after this, so it's like one or two in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it's late. We've never done a podcast this late ever. I'm having a harder time keeping uh, track of it, so maybe it's me. Okay, but I don't think it's boring. I'm enjoying it though. It's a, it's a wonderful lesson. The show, this is a standard principle. The show is whatever is happening. Oh, yeah, it's true. When, when I was talking to you, and I was like, oh, I didn't finish the movie, and I haven't been keeping up with your stand-up, I could already see the comments being formed, being like, Pete is rude. Pete uh, didn't keep up with his stand-up. Pete didn't finish the movie that Mike sent. And in my mind, I'm like, but the movie, I'm, I'm in the middle of the shoot and all this sort of stuff, and I got it, and I watched it. The hour I had to spare, I watched it. Like, I'm defending myself. But then I'm like... I never said that this was a show where, like, a, sna- a snazzy, like, slick journalist type would, like, interview you thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. This is a show that we do at 11 o'clock in a hotel, and we do whatever we want. What we do is the show. Mm-hmm. So this is the show. Mm-hmm. And it's not, there was a whole series that we did where the AC was off, and every episode was really sleepy and slow. That's what the show is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm grumpy, and sometimes I'm sick. You do the show. You keep pushing forward. Whatever happens is the show. Let me just put you on pause, and then I'm going to put on Mark Maron. I'll listen to Mark Maron interview anybody in this. <laughs> You're killing I'll me. I'll even do the bad episodes. Oh, my. Oh, the bad episodes. <laughs> Who is that? I don't know. Someone from his past? Yeah. <laughs> Not fun. Uh, I've listened to pretty much all the Marin episodes. Have you really? I love that show. I really love love it too. Yeah, I really do. I should. I've I've said before. I should play up our rivalry because it only helps me. Well, he clearly loves you because you're on his television series, right? I am on his television series. Yeah, then he loves you. But I'm playing his nemesis. I'm not on his television series. I put him in my movie. But you. You didn't have him playing his nemesis. Oh, that kind of brings us back to sex. He plays a guy who's fucking somebody yeah. in the movie. And the thing with guys like us is even if I am, you know, dabbling in sex in a way that I've never done, which I'm actually, the more I think about it, kind of proud of myself for evolving in that way. I'm not doing it in any hurtful or gross or mean ways, mm-hmm. but just kind of loosening up a little bit. Um, what always happens, I'll, I'll, go, I'll have a flare up of activity and then a realization that it's not worth it. And then a flare-up of activity and realization mm-hmm. that it's not worth it. And I feel like I just go back and forth between a flare-up of activity. Ladies, line up for a flare-up of activity. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so bad. No, I know. It's gross and weird. But I, I just mean, like, guys like Melania. It actually, me, like, indicates how you feel about sex. What do you mean? You feel like an active sexual life is equivalent to having a disease <laughs> you're like a flare-up well which is very that's very kind of evocative of religion as well like that it's that you're doing something wrong well, that's a flare-up exactly, implies it's something wrong well that's exactly where it comes from yeah. i'm fascinated with the uh the, the the way that sexuality is extinguished in the body that when i'm louis ck does some really wonderful material on this very topic when i am horny he, this is his line. I want you to drown in my cum. Drown. Drown? Drown? I want you to drown in my cum. That's his line. Very, very funny. Mm-hmm. The second you come, you're like, I want to learn about how light bulbs are made. You just want to like watch television or sleep or eat ham. Uh, and that extinguishing element of sex really kind of betrays me. I want it so badly that I don't want it. Here's a bit that disturbs me very badly. Dan Natterman has a very funny bit about 
he goes, Every, he, I love jerking off because when you finish, no one's there. Mm-hmm. And I relate to that too much. Mm-hmm. I actually have to work against and be like, no, sex is better or whatever, or intimacy is better or relationship is better because I don't want to be that lonely comedian that's just like, it's just a fire that I put water on and then I eat a sandwich. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it is religion. You always felt okay about sex? No. <laughs> Why did you just assume that? I don't know, because maybe because I... I'm not judging what you're saying. I didn't I'm, feel I'm, badly judged. I felt accurately summed up. Oh, no, I think similar. I, 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 When I was single, I always felt like... How do I describe this? It's like... There's, there's no way... There's literally no way that two people can have sex and want the exact same thing afterwards. Afterwards? Yeah. There's literally no way. Tell me what you mean by that. You could say, as a blanket statement, I hooked up with this girl, and afterwards I didn't want anything, and she didn't want anything. But let's be honest. You maybe wanted something 30%. Maybe she wanted something 32%, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. You don't think it would ever line up perfectly? No. Or it would be very rare that it would line up perfectly? What are the think options? Think of all of the variables. What are the variables? Breakfast? No. Sex again? Yeah, the variables are... Ride home? Yeah, the variables are... Just staying in touch. You know, right. just... Leaving open the option that you see each other every few months. Leaving open the option that you see each other once a year. Leaving open the option of there's a zillion things I could make up of what the variables would be. Right. So what's and they're the odds of those two things being exactly the same? It's just impossible. But isn't that true of everything? It's true of everything. However, it's just much more. It's just more volatile because there's so much emotion built into it, and there's so much. Nakedness and liquid. You're you're naked and liquidy and Noises. and it's and it noisy and it's it's so it's so intimate. Decisions and are made. Decisions are made, and it's like <laughs> roles are there's, established. There's so yeah, there's so much stuff that's like, oh my god, will will this person be talking about this to her forty friends? And she's probably thinking, is he going to talk about this? You know, with us like on stage. You know, it's the like, yeah. infinite possibilities of the mind wandering it's just horrible it all but it all it all anchors on it being a bad thing because let's be free love let's put on yeah if it's great then there's still a zillion variables if it's great the both people probably want it to extend in some way shape or form Okay, no, I still think that this is hinging on sex being filthy which is something that I'm 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 saying if it's good I just said if it's really good I thought you just meant good sex yeah. I'm talking about sex itself being a good thing. And therefore, if you talked about it on stage or if I talked about it to my 40 girlfriends, I'm the girl, uh, then that would be okay. Why wouldn't you tell them? We had sex. It was a beautiful thing. If the rain was there, a coyote walked by, we came at the same time. No, I but I'm saying... took a scoop, scoop of sand and I put it in my hair and I made you laugh because you told me your uncle gets dandruff. And I said, I'm your uncle. And she said, don't do that. And I chased her with seaweed. I'm not going to be on the other side of this argument. What do you mean? No, like I'm not, like you're saying like that I'm um 
you're painting me on the side of the argument that I don't even want to be on. Oh, then don't let me put you there. Yeah. I, I'm just... Like, I just think that... In, I think the I'm describing where my neurosis comes from, mm-hmm. not where my reality... Where reality is. I'm, I'm describing, like, the reason why being single was very unhappy for me... Yes. ...was because all I could think was the infinitesimal... Uh, or, you know, the minuscule degree to which the two people after sex or some kind of intimate relationship want different things, even slightly. Sure. Worst case scenario, they want completely different things. Right. Best case scenario, they want slightly different things. Both of those, I just, could, I just couldn't get over. But what if we cut a couple wires on the bum? And it's not sex, because I, I completely agree with you. I, I know what the pattern your pubic yeah. hair is in. You're saying, like, yeah, so well, cut, the, cut the sex and make it like a Lost in Translation night. Yeah, there you go. And now we want different things. Are you going to talk to your girlfriends about this? Am I going to talk about this to my wife? I'm Bill Murray in this one. Uh, does that also concern you? Or is it the sex that makes it hot? No, I think yeah, it's same thing. I think it's the same. You'd still you'd still worry about their potential hurt. I guess not as much. I guess I guess in that instance, it, yeah. I guess the more in, I, I think it's 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 equivalent to how intimate it gets. I guess. So, but if you did have the value that karaoke, where you're making eyes at each other in Japan, could be <laughs> arguably more intimate. Than fucking for sport. I'm sorry to say that, but like just having sex, just that's true too. Yeah, that it could be more as intimate or more intimate or whatever. Sure. Yeah, and that would also be troubling. Yeah, in my neurotic head. Yeah, and maybe yours. But I, that that's a big problem for me. That's something that my therapist accuses me of a lot. Doctor yeah. Gary Penn. His book is available now. Oh wow! Really? You plug your therapist? He doesn't ask me to. He just contributes so much to the show that I like to throw him something. Who plugs their therapist? I love my therapist. He has a book? I Can't Believe My Life Has Come to This by Dr. Gary Penn. And if it's, uh, I haven't read it yet. I have it, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, and if it's as good as, uh, as it has to be. And he's, he's like a genius. It's, a, it's an amazing book. And here's what he's pointed out to me, and I want to put it to you. He notices that I will often manipulate how people feel about me, which is what I do professionally. But I also see in your sex scenario, you do all this sex, and then there's there's too many balls in the air. There's too many stakes. It's too high. I can't control how that person thinks about and thereby kind of partly defines me. So I'm just not going to partake in those activities. Whereas another person might be like, I had sex with her, and I did it by my rules above board. I told her I didn't want anything fancy, and I believed her, and then we fucked in Cape Cod, and it was delightful. And in the morning, I brought her a scone, and I kissed her, and I said goodbye. I'll see you maybe next time I'm in town. And that's what I sold up fr- up top. That's what she said up top. And now if she's mad at me, that's a her thing, uh, whereas opposed to being like, I can't control how she feels, and that terrifies me. Do you manipulate people to make them like you? <laughs> I think I think my wife would accuse me of that. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I, every week I get it. Yeah, she's. My wife thinks that I'm. Well, we just differ on this. She always thinks I'm in control. She, I, I, I always think she's in control. She's always thinks I'm in control. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I used to. I wrote a joke about it at one point that never got laughed, so it, it, it fell away. What was it? Which is, um, 
it was just it's um my my wife is so manipulative and it drives me crazy because I can't manipulate her. It's <laughs> very funny. That's great. I it's gr- it's great in a don't really laugh kind of way like oh yeah that's, yeah, a, that's sure, an interesting sure, sure. cute yeah fra- turn of phrase might maybe you should uh, pitch that to Reader's Digest. So I was just today thinking about who submits to Reader's Digest and how it was a dream of mine to get in it as a child and now I probably totally could. Anyway, as Voice of the Utrid <laughs> wrote this one now. Uh, that's interesting. I wonder if she's right. I don't know that about you, but you do seem like a nice guy who is playing a little bit, you know, still, uh, you know, what is it? Fast waters run deep? Something about, oh, still waters run deep. But I'm saying the opposite is true. I think your surface might be still, but in the bottom, you have a fucking movie. You're not some rube. You're not an Andrew Wyeth painting. We're in a very expensive hotel doing Jimmy Kimmel tomorrow. You know what I mean? You did uh, Letterman when you were like 12. (laughs) So you're not... You're not coming, you don't have any tattoos of barbed wire and you don't have leather pants, but on some level, to be where you're at, you have to be pretty good. And let's not say manipulating because that sounds judgy and you have to understand I'm in this boat too, but at least controlling how people feel. Having a lot of thermometers, which is why sex is difficult for both of us, a lot of thermometers, gauging facial reactions, it's almost like autism, uh, tone, texts over analyzing emails and all that sort of stuff the same thing that makes us good at our jobs also makes us kind of like strange people it's like emotional to a fault yes yeah but it makes you high high functioning super high functioning i think it's also what makes me depressed is that right yeah i think that might that might come for me too brings me down tell me about it well i think that if you if you feel if you're always feeling everything and if you're feeling you know like this week like my cat is dying my cat ivan is like my wife and i have a cat and he's he's like near his death 70 percent sadder once we learned his name (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it was it's been devastating for us like i flew home from seattle this week Hmm. i was gonna come from from seattle to here and i flew home and then i flew here that's been my whole week wow just to be with him for when he was going to die, and then he didn't die. We, like, rescued him from his... by getting him to eat. But anyway, it's, it's like... But but if you're a very emotional person... Yes. You take that on yourself. You feel what the cat feels. Yep. You feel what your wife feels as she's experiencing what the cat feels. And you are also operating in the world, which is hard in the first place. Right. And it's, so, yeah, that's sort of how it operates. That's the term that I got. First of all, I'm very sorry about your cat, and I'm sorry I made a joke, but it was sadder as soon as I learned that this precious little guy's name was Ivan and became so so much more (laughs) three-dimensional. It is an adorable name for a cat. But the term that I stole from Conan from his Nerdist episode was empath, and I looked that Mm. up, and it's just one of the reasons why New York City probably energizes both of us is there's so many people. It becomes this beautiful or terrible symphony of sound and expression. Uh, and then it's also kind of nice to be here and be quiet. But that's also, again, why we're good in front of an audience. Like, I'm, I'm doing, uh, I came from a shoot today. We're just shooting these uh, commercials. And I was watching the entire crew in a way that I'm pretty sure, I can't be certain that some of the other actors weren't as concerned with. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was bothering me that I saw, like, a sound guy talking. Because I want every, like, I'm taking everyone's temperature. Mm-hmm. But to speak to your depression, I'm. I'm you, know, you know who does that to an extraordinary degree is um, 
I, I know this because I shadowed her on Girls. Is Lena Dunham directs Girls and uh-huh. on HBO. Mm-hmm. She's very connected with all the crew members and all the actors at all times. Really, in a very empathetic way. It's very interesting to watch. And it's good. a very good quality in a director. Exactly. Yeah. I'd love to talk to her about how that affects her relationships and stuff. Because I guess ultimately, if you are manipulating your wife, which I'm not saying you are, but I will say that I manipulate my girlfriends in this very friendly, gross way that I'm really trying to work on actively all the time. Talking about it on the show is part of the work I'm trying to do on it. It's because if if there is a defense for it, when they aren't feeling in a good way, it really fucks our shit up. It's Ivan dying. You know what I mean? Your girlfriend, your wife, I'm sorry, being fucked up, especially because of you or with you, is probably very painful for you. It, it kind of goes back to the sex. You can't just be like, see when I see you. You know what I mean? It's all, you're an exposed nerve. You're the guy in Green Mile. I didn't say it. The guy in Green Mile, uh, I can't talk about it too much without it being a spoiler. It's like a 20-year-old movie. But he's a guy that feels everyone else's pain. Mm-hmm. And let's just say when he dies, uh, he's grateful that he dies because he's like, it's too much. Yeah. The love is too much. The joy is too much. The pain is too much. And mostly the sadness is yeah. too much. It's hard because my wife and I both have that quality that we're describing where we feel a lot. We mm-hmm. kind of overfeel. It's hard because at a certain point... It, if you read into what someone is saying too much, you constantly have to dial back and be like, I actually didn't even say that. Mm-hmm. And then, but they're the quality that they, that they have, which is reading in. Like I always say that my wife is like, um, is right about things like 99% of the time, which is an outrageous mm-hmm. percentage of time uh, or percentage of the time. But when she's wrong, it fucks up our relationship so much because she thinks she's right. Uh, and I have to be like, no, you're wrong. And she's like, no, I'm right. I'm always right. And I'm like, no, you're right 99% of the time. And this is one of those times. And I'm sorry. Yeah, that's great. That's really, really funny and uh, interesting look into marriage. She has an outrageously high percentage of kind of reading minds. Really? Like, oh, yeah, that's what I mean by saying she's emotional to a point of she can she can read a situation and read into it in a way where, I, you know, and I go, well, she explains the dynamic of what's going on in a room, like at a dinner or something like that. I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that. But yet now that you've said it, that's exactly what's happening. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's great. Like that, a lady's intuition, but super. But that's what I'm in love with. Yeah. And that's also what, when we have our biggest fights, that's what it is. What is? When it's wrong. Oh, when she's wrong about what she thinks is happening. Yeah, because she's right so much of the time. And that's the downside of being right all the time. Yeah. It's it's like. And having like deep intuition. That's the downside of it. When the intuition's wrong, it's crazy. Yes. And and offends everything inside of her because she's always right. It's like a forensics person like showing up and being like, you're a murderer. And yes. the person's like, I don't think so. Right, right. That's great. <laughs> like a forensics person who's right 99% of the time. And then once in a while, they like kick in a door of some dude who's just like, um, I'm just like a regular, I'm a mailman. <laughs> I have an like, No, you're a murderer. Yeah. No, I'm just like, 
I'm just in the ga- the gaming club. <laughs> is she? Is it? Is it a psychic-y at all? I think so. Yeah. So that well, that merges beautifully and perfectly. I have a couple of questions for you about your far more far out beliefs, psychicness. I suppose we can start with. Uh, I'd also love to talk about your dreams because I know you're a big dreamer. You have to be tied up in a bag because of it. True. Uh, <laughs> You have to be in a potato sack True, race. Mr. Holmes. True. <laughs> they put you in a sleepy potato sack race every evening uh, because you have vivid dreams. Yeah. So I'd also like to talk about that. Let's start, let's start with your, your empathetic wife. Your, uh, this, are there instances where she'll call something or get, get what you're thinking or what someone else is thinking? Is that the sort of – how does it manifest? Um, yeah. I mean all the time. I'm trying to think of like the most recent – um, instance of it. I always have to be. I, it's, when I talk about my wife, I'm always careful. Yeah, because I'm because it's her life as sure. well. Sure, and it's so, like that's it's your e trade. <laughs> it's my e trade. Yeah, <laughs> make sure I can you... get fired by my wife. <laughs> Tell um, the line. The uh, well, it's funny because I. Yeah, I had this thing recently where we went on a writer's... We were, were both writers, and so we went on a writer's retreat where we stayed in our friend's house mm-hmm. in, Ma- in Massachusetts. And and um, this was, like, last summer. And, I lo- and we brought Ivan. And for... Long story short, for a period of time, I lost Ivan. Hmm. And we thought that he had been eaten by wolves. <laughs> and I woke up Jenny to explain this to her. And and her eyes, I can only describe as divorce eyes. <laughs> I had never seen those eyes before, and it was so shocking to me. Because I was like, oh, no, this is the worst day ever. Not only is my cat Ivan eaten by wolves, but I'm getting divorced. Uh. And, and, uh, and it was weird, because before that point in our relationship, I always thought... We're going to be married forever. And now I know that there's a line. Hmm. And it's weird. Yeah. To have that. Did she then know where Ivan was? We found him in the basement. It was like this really weird. Where's the psychic part? Oh, I don't even. It, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, it, there wasn't a psychic part. It I was. It was just. Sure. It was just me being afraid of talking about oh, getting di- getting divorce eyes. Here's how that story ended in my mind. Her eyes, I could only be described as filled with the stars of the universe, and in a voice that wasn't hers, she said, "Ivan's in the basement." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good ending. Well, um, no, but you I, and Mulaney laugh the same. Mulaney has that laugh too. You are a rub offable to bring us back full circle. Yeah, it's my laugh. <laughs> Mulaney only does it on the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what was the second question? The, the psychic I, thing I'll try yeah. and think of. I don't want to put I'll you on the spot. I'll try and think of a, an example that's not going to be controversial. I understand. In our household. Can but you make a n- fake example? Just to give us the idea of this, are there little things, big things. It's not like don't get on the flight, or is it? No, like, it'll be like I found your it'll keys. be like you're thinking this. Oh, really? I'll be like, oh fuck, that's crazy. Really? Yeah, that's very interesting. So you buy into a little bit of a shared consciousness or some sort of electricity to thoughts and knowledge going around? Oh yeah, yeah. 
I don't know why I expected you to be really hard-nosed and uh, not fun in that way. I do think it's fun to believe in that stuff. Of course. Who yeah. Do- who doesn't? 90% of the guests. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> yeah. We run into a lot of people. Well, that's Good thing I true. don't listen to this show. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I do listen I, sometimes. No, I know, I know, I know. Uh, no, not 90%. I, I'd say we run into a lot of people that think that uh, it's coincidence and that, it, and that it's explainable and that your wife is, uh, like we were saying, a baby can read human emotions on faces. A baby. Yeah. So your wife, whatever that skill is, that intuition, she has a very high sense of that. Or she's getting pheromones or she's smelling. It's instinct. It's an animal instinct. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a survival thing. And, and she just comes from a code of, uh, of DNA that survived because they were like, I think we need to get out of here. Predators are coming. And that's why she's here. Uh, I would rather think that she's plugging into something, you know. In fact, Melania and I, I just had this. I was in the bathroom in, uh, where was I? I was in Portland. I went to the bathroom. It was like, it was late, okay? And I was in the bathroom. And when I was in the bathroom, I was thinking, this was like three nights ago. I was thinking, I should text Mulaney um, a line from Jesse James. It's just something we do. We love that movie. We text each other lines from Jesse James. And then I was like, "Eh, Mulaney doesn't really like me texting him as much as I like texting him, uh, which is fine. I've, I've asked him if he wants to be unsubscribed from the Pete Holmes text list. I like sending texts, just no reason, just a joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or a reference or you nothing. You did that to me recently. I do that. Yeah, yeah. You're on the list. Just text back unsubscribe. <laughs> 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 so I'm in the bathroom. Again, just a random thought, but a very clear thought. It was in the forefront of my mind. It wasn't like kicking around the subconscious. That was my thought was I should text. You don't have to smoke that if it's making you mungy. That's a line from the, from the movie. I get back. To, to my bed, I look at the phone, and in the time that I had been in the bathroom, I got a text from Mulaney at an odd hour, and it was a line from the movie. And I looked at it, and I was just like, what the fuck is happening? To a knucklehead like me, and I'll be first in line if you want to sign the pizza knucklehead poster, I'll sign it, make it authentic. I, I believe I may be a knucklehead, but I'm the kind of knucklehead that will see that and be like, that's because I thought that thought because Mulaney was thinking that thought in that moment. And am I choosing to believe that because that's more fun? Am I looking for patterns where there are none? I don't know. But where are you, it sounds like you feel like maybe that's the case. I'm on your team. I mean, it's like, you know, you look at every animal species and there's things that we don't understand about why they have extraordinary qualities and skills. I mean, it's like polar bears can smell their prey 30 miles away in northern alaska or you know some kind of i don't know if it's that but it's far it's farther than one might imagine yeah you can smell your prey yeah and and you know there's these stories you know there's that there's like a famous story where uh, the oh there was someone who gave someone a homing pigeon as a gift and then they went on a took it on a boat to america from from england you know this story? No. Like a famous story from the 20s. And then when the person arrived in America, they decided to let the pigeon free. Yeah. And the pigeon flew back to his home in London. What? It's like a documented story. And he flew back to his home in London faster than the boat returned to London. The boat went straight back. The bird beat the boat. Holy shit. Yeah. But anyway, the point is animals, and we are animals as far as I understand it, yeah, are uh, unexplainable. 
I love it. And we'll always be that way. This will be a good uh, off balance to the Ari Shafir episode. <laughs> Although he was, he was someone, somebody texted me, they were like, I listen to the Ari Shafir episode and I think I'm an atheist. <laughs> Although you, you, you're not really talking about religion, you're just talking about supernatural things. Yeah, and I was just saying I'm agnostic. I, I mean, I don't, I'm kind of intrigued by all religions. I'm like, huh, that's an interesting take. Yeah. But I remember something you told me, or something maybe I heard you say, maybe on Mary's podcast, was the idea. Nope, this is something you said to me personally. You remember being a kid in Catholic school, mm-hmm. and I really a- a- admired the balls. There's no other word yeah, for it. Yeah, like I was full-on Catholic. I was an altar boy as a kid. I was like a real all-star. I went to Catholic school grade one through six. A golden sweet boy? I was a golden sweet boy of Catholicism. And then one day, that golden sweet boy, you told me, he said... It was like age 12. It was just like, this. none of this is real. Yep. Yeah. 12. Yeah. You're six years out from a fully formed brain. Yeah. And you went, nope. Yeah. Why? The ark? The flood? You know what it was? <laughs> it, was the, it was the overflow. It was, it was like, we had these family friends who were... My mother's extremely religious. We had these family friends... Uh, who are were extremely religious? They would go to Magigori in Yugoslavia, where there were, uh, there are, and were supposedly miracles. There's like statues of the Virgin Mary crying, like blood, blood, and all this, you know, like all these kinds of yeah. things. And they would they would go to they would go there like two or three times a year, and to witness these miracles and then they would come over to our house and they would talk about it ad nauseum and and at a certain point I was just like oh this isn't real because the thing that you think would win people over for the faith a, a, a human person warm body coming over to your house and saying I saw a statue cry blood and you're like that's bullshit yeah it was really it was a very odd repulsion I had to what they were describing. I was like, you like, this is not, and, and maybe it is real. I mean, I'm not, if someone is listening and had a transcendent experience in Yugoslavia, then so be it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that is real for you. And, but for whatever reason, this moment I had was just, I just was thought, Oh, I just don't buy this. Hmm. I've been I've been studying this my whole life. I know all about it. I know a lot about the New Testament. You're twelve year old you. Yeah, and I just don't buy this. Yeah, I don't know why. That's really interesting. Yeah, can I relate with a, a brief story? Yeah. When I went to Utah for the first time, I met a uh, an elder, a Mormon uh, former missionary, who I was fascinated with because I was churchy at the time. And he told me a story on his mission that he and his uh, partner used to just wander the streets of where wherever they were. They were in America somewhere. And they didn't plan on which doors. Listen to the story. I, get, I, I want this story. I, I'm interested in this story. You know what I mean? They didn't know. They didn't plan on which house they went to. They would let the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. guide them. And then one day, they walked around and they just went to a house. And I rem- remember how I felt when I heard this. Knocked on the door. And they went in the house, and there was this guy, and uh, he was alone, and the the blinds were, there were boards boarded over the windows, and there was this forgotten language written all over the walls. And he, and then, what what made the story uh, story suspect, uh, apart from just that, <laughs> the beginning, uh, I start, everything was offered to me after I asked, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I was like, 
well, what was he doing? And then it would be like, oh, he was carving in his arm mm-hmm. something in uh, Sanskrit. And he was, and then I was like, was he, was he in pain? No, he was, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like, okay, this is a guy pledged to a church of truth and honesty and not lying about your mission. What an absurd field to lie in, but about your mission, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were like, and then they, and then what did he do? And he goes, and then we started praying for him. And I was like, and then what happened? And then he goes, again, suspect that he's not just offering this info. And then he started crawling up the walls and stuff. And the board started falling off the windows. Obviously, the story is bullshit. And then, uh, and then the guy fell down, and the light came in, and he had no memory of where he had been the last six months, and the wound on his arm had healed and all this sort of stuff. And it was that story, hearing a religious person lie in such a degree that really took a real chunk out of all religion for me. Mm-hmm. As bizarre as that sounds, it was the first time I had run into somebody who claimed Jesus, claimed Eight Mile, and was was not good at freestyling. Okay, was not was not you know mm-hmm. truthful. I also read a book when I was in Africa when I was on one of my mission trips. I read a book that was also it was stories like that times a million. Mm-hmm. And on the back, it was like this person is a pastor of a church, and I was like, well, this person. I'll tell you some one of the stories, because this book is long forgotten. You'll never see this book. I found it in Uganda. Not even in the city in Uganda, but like just like small press in Uganda. And I read it, the whole thing, and it was about how at the bottom of the ocean, that's where the devil has these factories that make ladies' clothes and perfume and cars and all the things that make us caught up. And I was like, but this guy claims JC. He's with G's. He's with my God. And he's lying. And it just it just shook my core. So you have these people coming back from Yugoslavia and potentially lying mm-hmm. or maybe not lying. Or being fed lies. Or being fed lies. Is what I perceive. Reporting lies. Yeah. And that chipped away and it was the brick that you can't touch in the temple of doom and the whole thing falls down. Mm-hmm. And we're on, the, we're on the boat plane and they're shooting arrows at us. Yeah. That's what it is. But I'm totally open to... The positive aspects of religion, like like I've had very good good uh, experiences in Utah, for example, with Mormons. Like I love Mormons. I think they're lovely. The people who I've met are Mormons are lovely and love talking about their religion. I love hearing about it because it's so batshit crazy. <laughs> uh, that really took a turn. But no, it, it's, uh, no, I no, no I, I liked it. I liked it. I mean, it's um. No, it's fascinating. I don't mean it that shit crazy. I was just kidding, but it's uh, it's no, just there's, fascinating. There, and, there and, and as, well, I think there's there. It's it's just interesting to hear what what is people what are people's foundations as long as it's it doesn't uh, you know break into our law. Yep. that we've all agreed on is the law that we're going to live by in America, right. like. You know, polygamy, they don't do that anymore. Right. And they don't hate black people anymore like they did in pre the 70s, right. you know, and stuff like that. Like the integral aspects of uh, progress that America has had. Yes. And as long as it doesn't defy that, for me, it's like, oh, okay. Well, if that's a foundation for you that's positive and makes you do positive things, then great. Yeah. But it is baloney. No, it's not baloney. It's just not what I believe. It's now it's it, is, it doesn't it doesn't it's not part of my what I think about every day. Maybe it's true. I don't know. I I don't know. Wouldn't it concern if it were true? 
and uh, let's let's stay Mormon. You're not a Mormon. You're not baptized. No. You don't marry a Mormon. Uh, but you never actively denied the burning in your bosom, the, the pull of the Holy Spirit. That means you, Mike Birbiglia, would then become, according to the interpretation of the Mormons that I've talked to, you wouldn't go to hell, but you'd basically be like a servant in uh, Mormon heaven. Mm-hmm. That that sounds not good if it ends up being true. You'd rather be, you know, you know, a god and uh, have your own spirit planet and your own celestial wife and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so that's why it matters if it's true. <laughs> So you're putting your money on that not being true. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully. So when we die, lights out, most likely? Yeah, I don't know, though. That truck hits you? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. You know? Have you heard anything? I've heard so many things. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, I'm pretty sure. uh, Yeah, I mean, I I would say, uh, yeah, there's probably, probably lights out. I mean, that's what I believe, but... But I, I don't believe strongly that. Yeah. I mean, I believe some... I mean, if you were going to hold a gun to my head, I would say some version of, you know, but her ashes go into the ground, the ground becomes something else, and that becomes something else, and that becomes something else that's alive. Right. And that we're part of that. So your 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 matter, your carbon, is regenerated into a, a frog's ass or something? Yeah, and your soul is somewhere. I don't know. But then, well, that's an that's a big whatever. Is our soul just our intellect, or is it is it a separate thing? It's hard to say. But what does your gut say? Oh, my gut just says, it's, yeah, that's it. I mean, it, my gut just says, yeah, my gut says, it, it, my gut is leaning more towards atheism, but my, my, I actually think that the, ah, it's so hard to put to words, but it's, It's more likely that it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Because it, it, it'd be so easy for us to sit here and just go, oh, there's nothing. Everything's nothing. Right. But it's probably more complicated than that. Yes. My, so, but we're, we will never know. Well, we will. That's Maybe. That's what's disturbing is what we will well, know. Well, some version of our consciousness will. Some version of our consciousness will know. Maybe I'll know I'm a plant or something. Yeah. But not I always think, I think about aliens constantly. Yeah, this, is a, this, is a, this is a window into my universe of terror and doom. You're afraid of them. Yeah. I think that's a great fear. No, no, we, I had a bit about it. No weakness. And they might be real. <laughs> Wait, no weakness? Yeah, uh, I'll do the bit. It's, it's like a one-liner. I say, vampire, wooden stake, werewolf, silver bullet, alien, <laughs> lube up, it's happening. <laughs> well, yeah, that, bit's, that bit's coming back. I gotta write a new one. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. <laughs> lube up, it's happening. It's happening. Oh, that's so good. Uh, because that's one of my big fears. Oh, of course, because you know the um, <laughs> the famous astronomer and the, the guy who's Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is very con- controversially said recently in one of his specials. Have you seen the new specials? They're no. on Netflix. They're no, so, they're so good. He has a series of new specials about space. I can't and wait. One of the things that he says is, you know, yes, there are aliens, and if we ever see them. They're they not, will kill us. 
They're not friendly. Yeah, because they're they'll most likely be have animal instincts, which are colonial instincts, which is what made America what it is in the first place. Yes. And someone's going to America us. Oh my god. Some aliens going to America our ass. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Of course they're going to. If they found us. Yeah, of course they're going to. Hostile. Yeah. It's either the aliens or our own technology. <laughs> That will become super intelligent and go, why would I care about these ants? Yeah. I've never bought into the technology thing, and I, I love The Matrix. Oh, you should watch... The first one. You should watch Transcend- Transcendent Man. Oh, really? It's also on Netflix, and it's about the singularity. But I want, let's, say on, let's say on Aliens. Yeah. So you think... Do you worry about abduction? No. You just worry about... No, because I think it's what you do. Lube up, it's over. Ah. I just think it's over. Yeah, but you might come back. Did you see the movie The Fourth Kind? No, I've seen Close Encounters. I love Close Encounters. That's the third kind. You got to get the. I'm just kidding, <laughs> but it is. Kind of, yeah, okay. Close Encounters. Close sure. Encounters is probably my favorite alien movie. Um, f- Can I tell you this? Fourth Kind is not a good movie. I although I, you know what? Fuck that. I thought it was a good movie. It's not regarded as a good movie. I'm one of the knuckleheads that thought it was real. It's like a. <laughs> it's like it's like a. It's like a Blair Witch movie found yeah. footage. And I was like, no, this one's real. In my defense, the movie trips over itself. Most of the dialogue of the movie is said to camera saying, I know this seems fake, but this is real. And it's pretty convincing to me, a knucklehead. I saw it, and the, the hypothesis of the movie is not only will you be abducted, but, Mike, that you probably already have and forgot. That's like that's Scientology. Is that part of Scientology? Scientology is like there's aliens in the ground. Thetans. And they're kind of, yeah, I think they're going to come out eventually. It's something like that. There's aliens in Scientology. I know that. Yeah, okay. That only makes me like Scientology more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That movie scared the fucking shit out of me. Because sleep paralysis, people coming in. But that was an abduction thing. You're not worried about abduction. No. You're, You're worried about annihilation. Yeah, I'm also worried. I mean, in to get back to the movie Sleepwalk with me, the the final dream that I talk about where I had a dream that there's a guided missile headed towards mm-hmm. my hotel room in Walla Walla, Washington, mm-hmm. at, in La Quinta Inn, and I just and there's military personnel in the room and I decide to jump out my window to detonate outside the window for the sake of the platoon and I acted out that dream. Mm-hmm. I think about uh destruction uh, all the time. Mass destruction. I, yeah, like, I think about, like, the other night, this is this is where my instincts go, and it drives my wife crazy sometimes. Like, I'll flip on the pianist. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, throw it on. Like, I'll throw it on. Just be like, yeah, let's watch this again. Yeah. Which is like, it's not a movie you should see again and again. If people right. don't know, it's Adrian, it's Adrian Brody in a Holocaust situation where he's a concert world-class pianist who has to hide out from the Nazis. And uh, and it's, um, yeah, because I that's, that's, what I ex- that's what I expect will occur in my lifetime. Mass destruction. Yeah, some kind of mass takeover or destruction, yeah. That's a that seems like a religious instinct. Every every generation, especially the religious people, feel like it's the last generation. Yeah, and that's also arrogant. 
too. It is arrogant, but that's something we're uncovering yeah, on the show. It's a, it's a it's a weird like self importance that you think your generation is going to be the end of times, which I think is linked to religion. And I say that based on my own self importance and my own religious like uh, leanings, mm-hmm. because it's like I talk to God, He watches me, all that sort of stuff, and I'm I'm the king of guilt of that. You know what I mean? That is my guilt. So that feeling like uh, the world might end, or I'll watch the Earth fall out of the sky, or I'll be there when it's Independence Day and there's the aliens and there's no Will Smith. That is a type of arrogance, I suppose. Yeah. It's interesting. It's helpful that we have very vivid films that depict all of these scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's no coincidence that we, you know, we have, you know, I'm trying to think what, what's the Catherine Bigelow movie from two years ago that was so good. Um, Hurt Locker. Uh-huh. Which is like making us physically experience with sound design and cinematography exactly what it would be like to defuse a bomb right. in war. Yeah. Like, like that is actually, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, how can your mind not run wild when that's... Being fed into you. Yeah. That's actually my favorite conspiracy. I don't know if that's come up on the show, maybe, Katie... Well, let me know. My favorite conspiracy is that Katie's been asleep for a hard 20. uh, Is that movies like Independence Day and uh, Signs or whatever are put into our corporate consciousness as a people to condition us to be uh, afraid of something. Afraid of something, but also uh, not panic as... If you and I went outside right now and there was a UFO hovering over the whole state of California, we would be, like, scared... But it would also have a frame of reference. Would go like, okay, either it's going to start beaming shit down, it's going to shoot laser beams, or we're going to nuke it. You know, it would, would that, my, Jen, I'm not, sometimes Jenny gets mad when I reference her ideas as her ideas. She's sure. like, "That's not how I said that." Yeah. I'll paraphrase. Sure. She always says that about gay marriage. That it's like, if it weren't for Glee, the country would not be. So pro-gay marriage. Well, that's why people get excited about things like Modern Family. It puts the it Modern in Family our consciousness. and Glee, and before that, it was like, right? You know, um, for every one hate. And the same page, thing with the Black President. Black President was on um, Deep Impact Twenty Four and Twenty Four. Twenty Four was huge, huge, and it put it in people's consciousness. Oh yeah, that's a thing. Well, there's a black man handling well more than the normal <laughs> number of crises. Yeah. That a, a typical uh, run has. So that would so this whole like Glee, uh, twenty four black president gay marriage thing goes along with your concept yes. that that all of the thing, thing all this, the 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 crisis movies are a conspiracy. Although I don't buy that theory. Here, well, I'll make it more interesting. Uh, the Simpsons movie is a quarantine and kill movie. Matt Groening allegedly is a 33-degree Mason. M. Night Shyamalan wrote uh, The Happening, which is a quarantine and kill movie. He's a, allegedly a 33-degree Mason. The, the list goes on. Really? Yeah. Quarantine and Kill is an... Uh, I Am Legend is a quarantine and kill oh, I movie. I love I Am Legend. Of course you do. It's about <laughs> destruction. I could watch that all day. Now... Here we here we are. Here I am contributing. I am now putting out on the airwaves or whatever. The other one, Twenty Eight Days Later, is my favorite. These are I, I'm getting Book of oh, Eli. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, you like it? I like apocalyptic movies. Uh, the idea that quarantine and killing is a thing. An outbreak happens in Los Angeles. We seal it off. We let it die. Mm-hmm. That was introduced to us in the movies. So if it were to happen, if Manhattan or God, you know, God forbid, if Manhattan, but before that, it was introduced in literature. Was it? I mean, 
I'm not that well read, but and I'm even sure if it, even it was. If it and was. If it, before that, is on the radios on War of the Worlds. Yeah, that's not Quarantine and Kill, but that is Mass Destruction. I see what you're saying. And and even if it were in literature, then that was just the way they were doing it then. But it seems to flare up. We have a lot flare up, like sex. We have a way to get it out there to many, many more people. We, we, a lot of people saw the Simpsons movie. A lot of people saw I Am Legend. So, And they all kind of come out at the same time. The, the, the conspiracy gets more interesting when you go back to Independence Day, which shows a coordinated attack on D.C. and New York at the same time. Mm. And it happened uh, however many years before 9-11. The conspiracy, conspiracy people's uh, opinion of that would be these movies have attacks of these seeing the World Trade Centers fall in movies like Deep Impact or whatever – Condition us to be like, oh, it's happening, like Deep Impact or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not endorsing this thought, but it is, it's interesting storytelling. Hmm. So maybe that's happening with aliens as well. well I, I want to. You are empath. You're an empath. You're worried about Katie more than I am. Well, Katie, I'm curious. No, sorry, I, it's work. No, I understand. You don't have to know. You don't have to yeah, yeah, um, say, but the um, Katie. Katie was just texting, yeah, you do, you and um, but, but I was just curious. Is how are you how are you finding this? Because are you on all the episodes? Yeah, Do you record all no, the episodes. Is it okay? Yeah, no, this is fascinating. Ah, no one's ever asked Katie. I've asked Katie a couple things, lots. Is of it things. one of the better episodes or one of the worst? Episodes? <laughs> the middle level one. There you go. A live comment. We don't have to wait oh, for that's it to be one, posted. That's one of those ones where it's like you're talking to your wife and. You go, are you listening? And then she repeats the exact sentence from before, but it's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean you knew it in context. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so funny. It's like she said aliens, but it's like, yeah, we were talking about aliens, but what else? Well, I was trying to prove how much of your movie I watched. I tried to pick a pull quote from later. Yeah, in I know, the, I uh, hated when you did that. I did it, but that it was my favorite line. I called your ass on it. You sure did. Are I you called your. Read? I'm going to go to it right now. I want to find I the- called your ass on it earlier. You did this exact thing to me because I've been. I've been telling you for weeks that I'm going to come on the show and I want you to watch the movie. Yeah, which, but by I the got, way, is available on iTunes. And I love that you're, on, you're, you're turning this into a play. It's on DVD and Blu-ray, and it's on. When does this come out? Here's the 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 text. When's it come out? Yeah, when does this podcast come out? Whenever you whenever you want. Okay, so December 18th. It's on Blu-ray, whatever, all that stuff. December 9th, nine. A.M. is when Mulaney texted me, which means it was t- noon. You ought to pity my poor wife. I just want you to know that that's the quote. You ought to, pour, you ought to pity me, too. Have you seen that movie? It's about inner yeah. destruction. <laughs> so um, you said to me over text, um, I said, did you get the Blu-ray? And you said, I did, it's great. And then you wrote in quotes, that was a comedian, which is a line from the movie. Yep. And I wrote back, you need, to, you need not prove you watched it with your quotes, but thank you sincerely. Uh, and you wrote, it's great, we'll gab. Yeah. And I wrote, I'm going to ransack you. <laughs> and then you wrote, you're a fly in my web. And then I wrote, that web is part of my web, which is so big that it is not discernible to your amateur eyes. <laughs> And then you wrote, you're trying to eat birds. I'm still eating bugs quite happily. And I wrote what it was to be young. And then what did I write? You wrote, I work at Union Hall. Ah! Another reference to the movie. And uh, 
And that's it. Yeah. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it up. Let me look at the notes and see if we're forgetting anything. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's this relationship feels material like switch. People are. What are the aliens. comments going to be? Are they going to be really mean to us for this podcast? No, it's a very nice audience. But see how much it hurts us when you are mean. I've I've gotten some real doozies. I've gotten some doozies. That, what do you mean it hurts us when? Oh, it hurts me. Mean. People are like. There's so much information about me on this show. Yeah. I, I realize this because people can say things and do things and give me things or write letters or say things after shows that are so perfectly loving. Yeah. That that same power used inversely can really hurt me. And people, I say on the show, I hate when people say this about me or this about and me. And then they do. And I'm afraid that someone might yeah. think I'll come off this way or this way. And then to, to fucking get me, you just Ugh. have to follow up on that. But that's the price you pay. I, I mean, it's it's not even that big of a price. It's okay. Someone said to me recently that internet hate is not the same as hate. It's interesting. You know that it's it's going to be a new. In other words, that it's it's emerging as its own thing. A troll. Yeah. Yeah. That it's that it's that it's you can't take it at its word even. Yes. That it's a person. It's like it's like interacting with someone's. Id or something like it's not. Oh, yeah. It's not even interacting with a person. You tapped into something that is no longer human. Yeah, that's well. I mean, if you said to me, if someone said to me some of the things that I've read on Nerdist or YouTube or whatever, if they said them to your face, I, I think that might you might find my divorce eyes. Oh yeah, I think you might find my line, and I'd be yeah. like, I think I, I murdered a man last night. Yeah. And then I'll just blame it on a, a fake sleep disorder that I've made up to get on NPR and have a movie. What are you getting at? This is an expose. <laughs> and that fake fucking fake sleep bag that you've never used. And this, oh, first story entourage fake story. Fuck you, Mike. You're manipulating America. Chris Hansen? <laughs> what are you doing here? Well, Mike, <laughs> you are on Pete Holmes' podcast that we created as a construct for 113 episodes to build up to this episode where we would out you as a fake sleepwalker using it for national attention in your comedy career. Ah, oh, shit, Chris Hansen. <laughs> That's kind of true. Is it? No. no yes. I wish it were true. Do you have a... I think that would be kind of brilliant if I invented the whole thing. Oh, yeah. That would be outrageous. That would be like War of the Worlds. That would be like an Orson Wellesian yes. uh, construct. It would be genius. Do you dabble in lucid dreaming? Because if you're having no. this... I know. I don't know what that... I, I want the listeners to know that we hear that noise, too. Oh, yeah. Adrian Grenier Fructis is taking a shower upstairs. <laughs> Uh, he's washing all the strippers. I feel like I've, I've, I've somehow like, like, st- like you haven't done a lot of your Adrian uh, Grenier Fructis type jokes. You haven't done a lot of dad jokes on this on this podcast, <laughs> and I feel like I'm disappointed. Like I feel like maybe am I doing that to you? No. Well, T.J. Miller once said that it's not about the interview; it's about who I am in the interview. And you did change me quite a bit. If we go back and play the tape of me mm-hmm. coming into the room, I was that high-firing, fi- high fun-dad idiot mm-hmm. that was going to ruin this interview and have people be like, you should let Mike talk. But then I empathetically temperatures in you and reading your face and trying to make you look me in the eye and not look at the computer and all that sort of stuff resulted in this Pete, 
who now is here, uh, more of a Ed Bradley sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> Pete. And it became more of like an interview. The show is the show, baby. Yeah. The show is the show. So don't worry about it. I'll go back and lace in some weird <laughs> hammy jokes. I don't think you have to. Very good. Do you feel good? Oh, I just did what Marin does, but I, I, I want to wrap up, but I'm afraid that we good. I feel fine. Um, I like you very much. Okay, yeah, I don't need you to do that Marin part. I, I'm glad that you like me. <laughs> I am very glad that you like me. Can I tell you a weird story? Sure. I want to put this to you. Yeah. So I was doing a show. I was doing a weekend at a club. And Wednesday, Thursday, all, all, all the weirdos that come out know I love a weeknight. I love a weeknight. Yeah, I love give a me, weeknight, too. Give me a Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Give me a Thursday. Love the club on the Wednesday and the Sunday. Wednesday, Sunday, my favorite nights. Yeah. In fact, I just talk, I told my agent, I was like, I think I want to do what Bamford does. I want to go in for Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a great t- Wednesday. I had a great Thursday. Come Friday, early show, there's this guy in the front that won't. He's right in the front. It's like he's on stage with me. He won't stop whispering to his girlfriend. And she won't stop whispering to him. Uh, and I just came off the, the high of two wonderful shows. And now I'm up there and I'm struggling. And all I see is this couple that won't stop whispering. So I do what comedians do. And you make a couple jokes about it. See if they'll stop. They won't stop. Uh, now I'm just directly appealing to them and being like, please, it's very distracting. They can't hear you, but I can see you whispering. And every time you do, I'm terrified. They won't stop. I directly ask them to stop. Then I start doing the thing that, I, that a lot of performers do, where I do the material to them. So, like, if I'm making eye contact yeah, I do with that. them, they, won't, they wouldn't dare yeah. whisper. They'll They'd see just, the fault of what they're doing and be shamed. What they would do, they, weren't, they would see the fault, or I don't know what they'd see the fault. They would look at me the whole time, and the second I broke, they'd start whispering to each other. Mm-hmm. So now it's junior high. My dick's inside my body, to quote Eric Andre. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I have no power, I have no authority. I've been dethroned that quickly. And I call it out at the end of the show. I'm about to do my closer, and I've ignored them now for half an hour. And I'm just like, you, you've been talking the whole show, and I just want you like, please... I'm going to do my last joke. Please just don't talk during this joke. And the guy goes, it's okay. We like you. And I go, I didn't even give the order. You want to talk about an involuntary thing? He goes, we like you. I go, I don't care. (laughs) It was like a beautiful pushback of a nice guy Mm -hmm. in that moment. What do you make of it? Is that okay? I need people to hear that story and tell me that that's okay because it made me feel like a bad person. What would be wrong with it? I don't see what's wrong with it. It's too bald. It was too much of my ego getting out and being like, I don't fucking care, knucklehead. You're the enemy. Be oh. it. Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had low points like that. You're, it's not a proud moment for me, even though I guess it could be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, those moments are proud when they're funny. Oh, you think if it had been funnier, it would have been okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't that's really why make it That's funny. why we're there. Yeah. You know, if it's funny, it's good. And if it's not funny, then it just kind of is what it is. Oh, my least favorite expression. But I, I agree with you. It is what it is. There's, um, there's just nothing to be said about it. There's no shame in it. Yeah. You're being honest. Yeah. You're saying to a bully, don't bully me. Yeah. And, uh, you know. There's no shame in if you if you had said it in a funny way that'd be great. There came a funny part after that. 
That's good. Yeah. And now I have to go in my mind. Because I said, if the show isn't about you directly, you stop listening. And then he went, what? And then someone else laughed. And I said, how dare you support him in this issue? The only thing you should applaud is me throwing this man in a well. And then other people applauded. And I said, see, people are applauding the thought of your death. That's a cue. That's a social cue. <laughs> You're That's behaving good. wrongly. Yeah. Now, I said that to prove to you that I'm a comedian. <laughs> I, I, I could have... I could have guessed that you were. <laughs> like when we first met. That's and right. we were friends for a few years. Yep. To bring us full circle. We were friends yes. long before we knew that each other was funny. Although I was on your MySpace influences. Yeah. I had only really seen you cursorily. Cursorily. Yeah. Briefly. Let's wrap it up. These people have... Uh, I think they've heard enough. Yeah. I think this... I. I I caution people listening uh, not to uh, not to not to overemphasize any specific thing that happened or was said in the interview. Wow! But rather to just let it simmer, like uh, like background noise. Oh you're listening to as you drive or, I have or, never had a guest at the end of the episode be like look don't think of this as a podcast think of it as white noise to make you feel like you're not alone on a road trip and I like that kind of white noise yeah well we just created about three hours of it, <laughs> is it three? I thought it was just two is he the longest episode? No. Well, you'd have to go 25 more minutes to Who, be the longest who's, episode who's that? Ari Ari, Ari Gold, he's in the room next door. <laughs> There's a joke. <laughs> um, we were just talking about this before. Uh, you, when you were getting us coffees, um, my albums are all on Spotify for free. Why would you want people to know that? Mine is as well, but what benefit does that give you? I'm not in the record business. I'm in the live comedy business. You want people to hear it? Yeah. I spent so many hours on those albums. And now you just want people to hear them. Yeah. They're really, I'm really proud of those albums. Two Drink Mike, My Secret Public Journal Live, and Sleepwalk With Me Live. They're like my proudest achievements. And watch the movie. And then the movie, yeah. It's, which is wonderful. I'm going to go home and finish it. And I'm very tired, but that's how much I, I wanted to watch the rest of it. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Thanks, Pete Holmes. This Great has guy. been a real pleasure. Thank you, Mark Finiglia. Thank you, Mike Barbiglia. See, the redemption of the story would be you to laugh at the joke. You didn't laugh at it at the beginning, but you really shot me straight. I don't even get what the joke is. The joke when I first met you, and the podcast keeps going, is that you were a big get for me as a friend. So here's Mike Birbiglia calling me on the phone. Now, am I going to answer the phone and be like, Hey, Mike, you're on my MySpace page. Or am I going to fucking call you Mark Faniglia? I'm going to oh, call you Mark okay. Faniglia. Okay, I didn't get it. You never explained it to me. You uh, should know this. Puerto Rican people are known to have a lot of children. See you guys next time. <laughs> oh, you got to say keep it crispy. Oh, yeah. Keep it crispy. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.